Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yep. How you doing? Tanned, rested, and ready. Oh my. I w- I w- as we were the three just- R's. That's right. As we were just discussing, um, I was on vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, a cruise ship. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, it's a lot of like, I don't want to sound like a snob. Okay. But you got a lot of basic bros and basic bitches on these cruise ships. I've only recently learned the term basic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, really? And you're using it? Are you using it because they, because they would use it? You're speaking their language? Maybe. Okay. I don't know. All right. But I'm not, I'm not basic. Eh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but, uh. As I, as I know the term, you are, you are not basic. Yes. But I guess I think, uh, when I think of that term, I think of basically, and this is another, okay, you and I went to a school. Uh, a college mm-hmm. that did not have a Greek system. That's true. So the idea of fraternities and sororities is all I know of it is a caricature. It's almost like it's just animal house, right? Yeah. When, when I think about fraternities and sororities or when I hear about them as like an actual thing, when I hear like a real life person yeah. talk about their fraternity or sorority, I like, I had to remember myself like, Oh, those are real. Yeah. That's not just a thing from the movies where the dickheads yeah. <laughs> live. And so I think basically people who seem to me like characters from movies that would be in fraternities or sororities. That's what I think of as basic bros okay, and basic enough. bitches. Fair enough. Yes. Um, I don't like the word bitch by the way, but, I feel but like what it, choice it goes do you hand have? in hand yes. with that. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, in order but, to explain to me what what the term meant, yeah. uh, somebody showed me this wonderful, I believe it was a Funny or Die video with Patrick Warburton, okay. who had to, uh, who I think was, he's either like a, he was some sort of authority figure who had to break to, break to uh, break it to somebody that they are indeed a basic bitch. And <laughs> he, hearing him say it in that Patrick Warburton voice yeah. is, of course, wonderful. Um, but I, uh, I, I had to, like, contend with my, I would be like, you know what? I, I enjoy basic stuff. Okay. I like I like a cruise. Mm-hmm. I also like a chain restaurant. Sure. They have Applebee's in Mexico. I didn't go to one, but we saw... Here's the thing about Mexico. Okay. That this I, is the thing. No, there's a lot of things. Okay. But there's, there's a lot of American corporations, chains mm-hmm. there from restaurants like Applebee's or, you know, fast food places. Little Caesars is down there. Oh, nice. Um to other things, Costco, Office Depot, all, all this stuff we saw when we were in Ensenada. And what surprised me is that, like, the Little Caesars window, it says hot and ready. It yeah. doesn't say, like, I don't know, caliente y yeah. whatever ready yeah. is. It says hot and ready. Mm-hmm. And, like, a lot of them, uh, a lot of the signage on these American corporations were in English. Doesn't that seem strange? Maybe, um, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, I'm all right with it. Like there's plenty, there's in my neighborhood, there's a lot of businesses that are in Spanish. Uh, right. That's true. And so I just feel does, like, uh, does Mexico have a national language? Cause we don't, that's what, that's always my thing. When I see like signs right. in Spanish or, you know, uh, Thai in certain, you know, lots yeah, of yeah. parts of Los Angeles, Korean, is it, it's like, that doesn't bother me cause we don't have a national language. So no. We're a melting pot. No. I wonder if Mexico has a national language. I feel like it probably does. Well, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Cause the national language is like, okay, it is declared. This is the language we speak. Like it's very, it's, it's official, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they do or not, but well, um, anyway, I was on a cruise and I had a blast Yeah, and I had 
uh, a lot of uh, stuff to drink mm-hmm. there, and I ate a lot of food. Some of it, some of it very good. The uh, the sit down dinners on a cruise are always nice. Yeah. The rest of it, a little basic. It's basic. It's bland. Yeah. As Gordon Ramsay would say, it's bland. <laughs> Here's my thing. Okay. <laughs> to change the subject to uh, Gordon Ramsay okay. and to Kitchen Nightmares, because you and I were talking off mic about the fact that, and we'll get to movies in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I were talking off mic about the fact that um, you know, my wife is back in school and she's yeah. had the whole summer off. And we were talking about, she, you know, when she's in school, she she goes to school. She has to be there at eight in the morning and it's like at least an hour away. She gets up really early when she's Ugh. in school. So she goes to bed early. So I was talking about having these later nights and having like, basically we've watched a lot of TV together. And mm-hmm. one thing we've done over the course of this summer is watch essentially all six seasons of the American version of kitchen nightmares. Mm-hmm. And you notice a lot of trend. Now, and he also, you notice that, uh, he says the same things all the time. Yeah. And you start to get hints at how this is manipulated. Okay. Um, and also some things that I don't get. Here's the thing. The sometimes the most fascinating part often is when he comes in the first day and tastes the food. Yeah. And it's fascinating because a six seasons in, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you think they would have the people who own the restaurant would have seen enough episodes to know, all right, he's going to hate everything. Cause that's what he does. Like no matter what, yeah, yeah. he hates everything. Yeah. I think they intentionally shoot it so that it's like washed out in colors. So everything looks gross. <laughs> I think I, do, I really do think they try to make it like more like sort of, you know, like video E when, yeah. when they're shooting the food, it just looks like, well also like I, so I have a friend who's a, a, a colorist for, uh, for movies yeah. and who's to say they don't bring somebody in to like, all right, can you make this uh, nice lush green look a little bit yellow? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but and yet they're always like getting pissed off. What do you mean he didn't like the the uh, moussaka or whatever? You know, mm-hmm. that's everybody loves that. I, I can't believe this is throwing dishes or whatever. It's yeah. like come on, you know, it's all a show. And maybe <laughs> maybe that's there. Maybe they're just like playing along. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. But the thing that I love about Gordon Ramsay uh, is that he knows this is a failing restaurant. Mm-hmm. He knows that he's going to hate the food because it's the show is what he does. Yeah. But every time he asks them before he takes, so how do you rate your food? Uh, scale of one to 10. Everyone's like, Oh, an eight at least. And a lot of chefs are like 10. And he's like, great. Very excited. He always like acts so guileless. Like, yeah, he's expecting, well, they said it's great. I guess it's going to be great. <laughs> and then he's just, so, that's why he goes, damn. When he never takes his first bite of like crab cake or whatever. Damn. It takes, it tastes frozen. Ask the chef when this was made. I can't do a British accent, but oh, the other thing about uh, well, with, with, with Gordon Ramsay, I like the idea that hope springs eternal, you know, that <laughs> yeah. just at the beginning of every day, he's just like, I wonder what today has in store for me. Gordon yeah. Ramsay. Yeah. Great food. I have to assume. <laughs> um, another thing about okay, two more things about Gordon Ramsay. I could talk about it all day. Yes, I know. But, um, uh, now, now, oh, the other thing, I don't know if this is coming from him. I have to imagine as a producer of a show, it is anytime one of the owners or cook or female cooks or wait staff that are female say in their interview to the camera that they find Gordon attractive. Mm. You better believe they're leaving that in the show. Oh, sure. <laughs> I don't know why he's got an ego about it. He really likes to have himself puffed up. Uh, but then the other thing that my wife and I would do when we watch the episode, there's always at the end of the episode, after he's successfully relaunched the restaurant, mm-hmm. he comes out and has a direct address to camera where he gesticulates a lot. Okay. A lot of like, yeah, sort of Bob Dole type of, yeah, like, uh, yeah, no new taxes. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and he'll say, you know, this was this was one of the, the oh, everything's always the the toughest. Like you, we could have watched one like two weeks ago that had dead rats all over the place, and he'll he'll say, this is the worst restaurant I've ever done. He always says that. Um, but then as he's walking away, the camera stays walking away. There's always a little thing where something that some goofy thing that happened over the course of the episode, he'll like shake his head and comment about. So we would like try and guess throughout the episode, like, oh, which thing is going to be the thing he comments about is like, like one restaurant still had like a Christmas decoration up and it was like July or whatever. And like, oh, it's going to be the Christmas tree. That's what he's going to talk about. (laughs) So anyway, this is what this is how we spent my wife's summer vacation. Hey, (laughs) going on cruises and watching Gordon Ramsay. That's a little basic, if I, I got to say. <laughs> this is, that comes full circle. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty basic. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, I'm a basic bro. Everyone's, well, I don't know if I'd go that far. Everyone's a little oh. bit basic. You know, uh, I love Survivor. Right. And uh, I ate at Wendy's today. You know? That's, yeah. Uh, I love, I don't watch Survivor. Okay. I watch Project Runway. Yeah. I don't know if that's basic. I don't think that. that's basic. Okay. No. Well, Amazing Race I like. And I ate a Taco Bell today. There you go. And Subway. Jesus Christ, I had a bad. Oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> I did not do well today. Ugh. I mean, I gotta. I've got to catch up if I'm going to be as basic as you. And I do want to try and go to Denny's later, so I think that will uh, launch me ahead of you at that point. So um, well, let's pay some bills. Well, first off, uh, before we pay some bills, I want to remind everybody that we are currently accepting submissions. For the Battleship Retention Top 50 Movie Scores of All Time list. Uh, we'll be accepting them until the end of August. So what you'll do is you'll email me, Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You will send in your 10 submissions. Uh, these are 10 musical uh, movie scores Pardon me, that you absolutely feel like should be on the list. Now, we, I've gotten a couple emails of people asking questions. What about this movie? What about that movie? Because, you know, there are movies where there are a number of songs with lyrics um that were written specifically for the film and while we tend to think of score as uh non-lyrics uh that is uh those count you know south park bigger and longer and uncut that counts west side story does not count right um and then somebody emailed about saturday night fever which does have songs written for the film right and some songs not and so uh, I told that person, and maybe you can even answer the question right now. Uh, count up the songs written for the film. Yeah, I, I don't know and, off the top of my head. I and would see not. how prominently they play into the film. Yeah, I would not count it. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough thing uh, with with stuff like that. So um, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, because um, you get that a lot, like where bands or artists like write songs for the movie, but I don't know if it's enough. Like. Did Amy Mann write original songs for Magnolia in addition? She wrote, I think she wrote uh, the one that was nominated, and then maybe another one, but no, a lot of the songs were pre existing. But it does have, it does still have a musical score, not written by her. Um, But yeah. uh, Now, here's the thing. So we'll be, again, we'll be doing this until uh, August 31st. So email me, tylerbattleshipretention.com, your submissions. Uh, Now, you mentioned. Amy Mann, and we mentioned Magnolia, and so Paul Thomas Anderson, I I think, always has an interesting way with music, Um, and I would be lying if I did not say that, uh, or if I said that uh, There Will Be Blood did not did not feature prominently in the top fifty as it is right now. Okay, and so that is done by Johnny Greenwood. Here's a thing that somebody emailed me, and maybe you, I don't remember. 
So Johnny Greenwood recently said in uh, an interview with The Guardian, he said, Netflix drives me crazy. So much choice, but you struggle to find anything worth watching and spend half an hour searching. So the movie app makes perfect sense. Only 30 films and all worth watching. The skill is in the curation and they do it very well. About half the films are foreign language and the quality is great. So you can be confident in taking a chance on things you've never heard of. He's talking about Mubi, our sponsor. This episode, this episode is brought to you by Mubi. And I, you know what? I don't have anything to say. Johnny Greenwood already said it. Yeah, all that's right? great. So you can try Mubi free for a month. Be like Johnny Greenwood. I don't know if you use the the pretension uh, uh, or battleship uh, portal, but um, but you know what? Who's to say he didn't? If he didn't, you know what? He had to pay the whole thing. Right. You, however, listener, if you go to movie.com slash battleship, you get the first month free, and then it's only four ninety nine every month after that. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to... So how do, how do they do it again? What was that? How do they get there again? Well, you can go to movie.com slash battleship, or you can go ahead and click on the ad at battleshippretension.com. Look, they'll both get you there. All right. We'd prefer you go to our website first. Yes, I would prefer that. And while you're there, maybe read some reviews or something. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so uh, that was something that I found interesting. Is um, And I thought I'd, I would try and tie it in because a composer who is, again, going to feature... Uh, in the top 50 whenever we release it uh he uh, he's a big fan of movie and so i i thought uh, our listeners might want to try to emulate him sure to be like johnny greenwood yeah that's what i'm gonna do do we have another one uh we do i was gonna read it later but i guess okay, I no let's go let's get into something else okay. i wanted to talk about okay which is that um now it's you know we record well in advance and we're recording even earlier than we usually do mm-hmm. um but uh f gary gray's straight out of compton uh went straight out of the gates and up to the top of the box office rankings. Sure. The, the, straight out of Com- Compton and uh, straight into up, to, up to the top. Oh. Um, and uh, surprisingly, no violence at the screenings. Uh, <laughs> you could have knocked me over with a feather. I would have, su- I would have said straight out of Compton. Uh, so many people are going to get just machine gunned. Right. There's yeah, going to be drive by shootings, which is weird because it's inside a movie theater. Um, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, I mean, and don't be wrong. Well, you know, people are going to be like, Bouncing their hydraulic hot rods or whatever, absolutely up and down the with uh, their gin and juice. I know that's not sure, them, but sure. you know, I'm going early nineties. Yeah, that's the same same basic you. thing. Um, yeah, uh, that was you know because some theaters had like beefed up security. Yeah, uh, in anticipation of violence. Yeah, we are being sarcastic. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, hang on now. Um, so. And when I heard that, my first thought was like, oh, boy. I tr- but I tried to see it from their point of view and just tried to th- see, like, okay, well, let's see here. Like, I thought, well, maybe they're worried that, like, racists will come. It's like, I don't think that's their concern. <laughs> I don't think um, so, yeah. You know, uh, and, and I understand, you know, wanting to just always be on the lookout. But it does, it's a little profile-y. Um, yeah. And also, like... In a way, like, obviously, given events over the past few years, there's a reason to be a little more worried about big movie weekends and stuff like that. But it doesn't fit that profile. If you think about, um, obviously, uh, Aurora, Colorado, Mm -hmm. um, the Louisiana, I forget, was it Lafayette? Um, I think so, yeah. And uh, there was one in Florida. I can't remember where. Yeah. 
A, it's unfortunate that there are so many that we can't remember them. Yes. Uh, but A, all white guys mm-hmm. doing the shooting. And B, not really correlated to what the movie was. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that is, yes, that is correct. There, I mean, there has been concern with other movies like um, the interview. I remember there was a little bit of talk with Zero Dark Thirty. Um, as people being concerned that maybe right, but nothing happened. But nothing happened. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. These these shootings are not like you can't you can't draw a connect a line right as much like uh, as much as we you and I want to see the best in everything, <laughs> right? No, don't talk for me. Okay. Um, oh, want to? Yeah. All right. Yeah. It is. Uh, it is very hard to attribute anything to this other than use your word profiling. Yeah. And it's, and and even after the weekend was over, there was, there were some news reports, televised news reports that had, had this feeling of like, whew, we made it. Like, can you believe we did this? (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like, the tornado missed us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There, and, um, uh, Ava DuVernay had a tweet that went, uh, yeah, I guess it went viral or tweets viral to begin with. I don't really understand what viral means. Uh, I'm, I'm just a basic bro. That's um, true. Yeah. I think, I think basic bros know very much what viral means. <laughs> right. You're right. In a number um, of ways. Oh, uh, that's an STD joke. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. Wear a condom. Basic bros. Wear a condom. <laughs> um, but Ava DuVernay tweeted a screen cap of a CNN headline that said, uh, hip hop film brings long lines, no violence. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and she captioned it. You don't say it's, I think if that were like CNN and immediately they're like, it Oh, was CNN. okay. If what they should do is I'm sure some executives like, Oh, you know what? That doesn't look very good. Okay, guys, from now on, anytime we're reporting on a movie that does well, we need to talk about how there's no violence. <laughs> right, that way yeah. we will be retroactively not racist. This is just a new thing we're saying. Right. So, but, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, I try to be able to, like, like I said already, like I try to be able to see things through other people's point of view. And I do in the same way as when I, and this is going to sound super shitty of me. I apologize. Um, there are part, sometimes I believe that there's not actual like dumb people in the world and we're all dumb about something. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm dumb about a lot of things, but, um, but people that are just genuinely dumb, they just cannot process things. Well, they can still function and that's fine. They still uh-huh. find love and good for them. But, um, you know, they don't, they don't deserve to be secluded somewhere or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but in that same way, when I run across like behavior that that's, a, you know, racist or sexist or, or whatever you want to call it, you run across that. And there's a part of me that thinks the worst about people, but there's also a part of me that, like you said, I assume that my, like for me, I assume that, well, surely I'm being too cynical. Surely. <laughs> obviously. Um, people aren't, I mean, people are rough, you know, they're flawed, but they're not that bad. And then you run across somebody that's pretty dumb and you're like, Oh boy, this person's like a real, I've read about these people. Yeah. And then stuff like this movie theater thing, you're just like, okay, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm trying to see it from your point of view, but all, uh, <laughs> all, all signs point to racist. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. But uh, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up that point of view because we all can be wrong. Sure, and there isn't some like DNA code or on-off switch in each of us that's either 
flipped to racist or not racist. Sure. We're all racist, right? Yeah. We literally all. Yeah, I saw a crash. <laughs> um, uh, so maybe it does help to be like, to maybe say, it's, uh, it'll be, it would be easy and fun for us to just make fun of these people for being dumb, but maybe this is a teaching moment. I don't know. Like, cause yet- I remember having that thought, um, when, uh, what's her name from big bang theory, Kaylee Cuoco. Oh, okay. I would not have pulled that name, uh, in an interview. This is a couple years ago now. Um, the topic of feminism came up and she basically said that she wasn't a feminist and she gave as evidence for herself, not being a feminist, the fact that she liked to bake cupcakes for her boyfriend that made her not a feminist. Okay. And my first reaction was like, Oh, what a fucking idiot. That's not what that means. Just, you know, look it up. Okay. It's stupid, but that's not, that's not a nice thing to think. People can be wrong about things just as I have been wrong about things. And case in point, uh, Taylor Swift, um, who had, I don't remember exactly, but had essentially said similar things in in an interview. I don't remember if it was before or after that, but similarly defined herself as not a feminist, Mm -hmm. um, befriended, uh, and is friends with Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham was like, Hey, these things you said, that's, uh, just so you know, here's what feminism is about. And Taylor Swift was like, Oh, I was wrong. My friend Lena clarified things for me and she was like you know what i uh, turns out i am a feminist and so maybe you know maybe kelly cuoco's not an idiot taylor swift's not an idiot well and certainly there's there's a cultural there are cultural definitions of words that people respond to that aren't the actual thing oh that reminds me of a thing oh story before we actually before we move on i did actually have the thought about this movie theater thing it is not i'll say this maybe okay assuming it's not an inherent race thing. I will say that this is a film that is very, it's about, uh, rappers and that community at a time where there was a great deal of violence right? within people that were artists. Like they, these people are, they're going to do fine. What what are they doing? Shooting each other. Like (laughs) this is ridiculous. Um, and so maybe they thought like, okay, well this might, this might draw something that, that coincidentally overlaps with, I would say a black audience, but isn't necessarily about that. But well, like that's the most slack. I will cut them. Let's see how they beef up security for black mass. When that comes out later this year, what is black mass? That's the whitey Bulger movie. Oh yeah. Let's if, if they beef up, beef up security, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just about the violent content. They should. I don't think whitey Bulger was a monster. (laughs) Right. But, but you know what? Watch out for that FBI too. (laughs) We've gone to see like, we as a culture have gone to see yeah. lots and lots of violent movies over the years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't remember what the movie was in the Florida one, but in, I don't either. in Louisiana, it was train wreck. Yeah. That's like, nothing. So it's not. And with dark Knight rises, it was just like, it was a guarantee that it was going to be a full theater. Yeah. That's, that's all it was. Um, um, but speaking of words that, yeah, there are things that we have associations with. I remember once meeting, it was like, a friend. Uh, it was like the boyfriend of a friend of a friend. So I not someone I knew very well. Somebody not to be invested in. I, and I, but I, um, didn't think much of him <laughs> off the bat. Okay. He was, um, uh, I guess well off. I don't know what he did, but he had bought a loft downtown here in downtown Los Angeles. And this was years ago before mm-hmm. I mean, downtown is 
large parts of it, not large, there are, but yeah, large parts of it have become gentrified now. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy was talking, yeah, I bought this loft and he was like, right now on the street, I mean, it's a lot of like, you know, uh, flower shops, me- like Mexican type of, uh, Mexican goods and, and mm-hmm. stores. He was like, so I'm really hoping they gentrify a little bit and get some coffee shops. Like he used the word gentrify as a positive. And I like, I was taken aback before I realized like, yeah, I guess it's just a word and yeah. we associate like it doesn't have an inherently negative yeah. kind of like meaning, but yeah. We, and it could, just, it could literally mean like, Hey, I bought in a neighborhood that's not that great. I hope it, gets better right like in his mind maybe that's what it means but it could mean that it's uh we got um but the, yeah there was i mean it was a little too much like the things the shops that he was referring to as being hoping he they get pushed out were clearly yeah not both both owned owned staffed and frequented no. by the latino population and it, it seemed to have some of that connotation a listener uh very helpfully uh commented on our last episode and talked about a thing in uh, was it back to the future 2 apparently i haven't seen this back to the future 2 since i was a kid yeah and i don't remember i don't remember this um where marty mcfly sees like his his home uh in the future um, or maybe even in the present after things have gone terribly wrong or something. I, again, I don't even really remember, but that, uh, that he sees that, Oh, a black family is now occupying this place. And now, uh, that also maybe it's just generally run down, but like, that's the best signifier for us, the audience that, Oh, this place is really good. Yeah, yeah, well, the idea is the guy, again, um, I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but yeah, neither the, the description is that it's not like, you can make the argument like, no, like he's the guy answers the door with a shotgun. Like, yeah, saying, you know, yeah, that's like, pretty rough too. But uh, they're saying like, Oh, like you can make the argument. No, that's the signifier that it's a bad neighborhood. Sure. Not the, not, not that the fa- family happened to be black, mm-hmm. but uh, it still isn't the best optics, yeah. uh, to, to make that, that clear and visible a change. And so the question then becomes not to get too political, but like, how much of it is like, you know, I mean, this is a big political point for both political parties um, that like in the inner city that is in grinding poverty, you will find people that are frankly not white. You'll find white people too and you'll find them in rural rural areas as well. Mm-hmm. But like you'll find, so it's like, okay, well we want, we want to portray poverty. Well, poverty looks like this. We're not saying that, oh, these, the people who look like this are inherently violent, but we're trying to show poverty. So what do we do? So it's just like, so what do you do? Do you do something that is probably somewhat accurate as far, not how things automatically are just because, well, that's how these people are. It's not even that. It's just like, that's what it looks like right now. And we're trying to show it accurately as accurately as we can. So what do we do? Or I don't know. It's, it's a tough thing. Like, do you, do you make a change on principle? I don't know. Uh, I think you have to because you are trying to make a work of art, and you want it. You want it to be impactful in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So there, are, not every choice can be made based on uh, you know principles or politics or anything like that. Yeah. But I think you also have to realize that a popular art is, in some ways, more than just an art. It's mm-hmm. part of the cultural conversation. <coughs> And it's sort of like uh, you have to weigh the good and the bad, I guess. I mean, that's like it's like passing a law, I guess, to oh, take boy. a libertarian point of view, right? Watch out. 
which always gets me in trouble. But uh, a libertarian will You're tell you. You're all saying no one will email. I, <laughs> I'm not saying this. I'm saying a libertarian might say that a law is by definition a bad thing because it takes freedom away. Sure. But in each case... It's a limitation. Yes. In each case, you have to weigh, does this pre- provide or secure more freedom mm-hmm. for other people than it takes away from these people? And I think when you make uh, a movie, you kind of have to balance the same sort of thing. Like, okay, if I if I cast a black actor in this role, that will to the population who is already understand already understands that shorthand that will have the impact that I'm looking for, right? But you weighed that against you said shorthand, which was something I was thinking of a moment ago, and I was thinking like, well, what's the difference between the wire? And this, like, well, The Wire is a TV show that had several seasons yeah. to really delve into well, what it looked like for these it, characters to live in poverty and, and that sort of thing. And that's like, I keep bringing in the comparisons, but like Brian Fuller at the Hannibal panel talking about why they don't do rape stories on Hannibal. Sure. And it's because he believes, he, does, he doesn't think that you should just like whitewash across the board, just never depict rape. Yeah, it's a thing that he happens. Was, he, yeah, he, but his argument was that if you're going to do it, you should do it with respect and really devote a lot of, I think real estate was the term he used a lot of real estate to, mm-hmm. uh, exploring the effect on everyone involved. And that's just not the show he's making. Whereas, well, and, the, uh, you know, and his show is so sensationalistic in certain right. ways that one could, yeah, that it could be seen as like, it's going to be inherently stylish, which might even, someone could see it as glamorizing it a little bit. Um, I'm sure yeah, you would well, do but, it uh, fine, uh, but. Uh, and then, but Out- outlander I had talked about, did a you know, had a character raped and then devoted, pretty much an entire except for the end pretty much an entire episode to not only the f- physical ramifications but the uh psychic or you know spiritual yeah. <laughs> uh, ramifications mental uh ramifications uh and so that's the difference between the wire is that yeah. the wire didn't just use it like black actors as a shorthand it was yeah. exploring the lives of uh lower income black people who do and do not turn to lives of crime. Right. That's the other thing is that there are a lot of black characters on the wire who weren't criminals. Right. I think that that helps, that helps too. Uh, whereas there's not a lot of black people in the back to the future franchise. There's the one guy who becomes, who deci- the, he becomes he decides the mayor. to be mayor because a white, white kid told him it was a but good you know idea. What? He was going to do it anyway. Yeah. Whatever happened, happened. Marty always went back and told Oh, you're blowing my mind. We're getting into Futurama stuff. <laughs> Fry's Fry own grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, oh, boy. It's crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. So so in that moment, Marty McFly was like the magical black man uh, <laughs> for this black guy. Right, yeah. I guess okay. that's one way to turn it around. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Did we? I think we um, exhausted that... <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. We talked for like three minutes on the movie theater thing, and then we moved on to other bigger things. So. Yeah, I wanted to get and into the topic by the half hour mark, and we yeah. have missed that. So and, let's. Uh, and I will say, uh, this is a. It's not a half hearted apology, but it's a qualified apology, which is like, I recognize that people don't listen to the show for politics. Um, and hopefully, we haven't like angered people. And, and we. we for the last few weeks have talked about it more than even I like to, at least in this, in this context. Um, but hopefully, uh, people, uh, have enjoyed what we've had to say and hopefully it's been a a good conversation and that, uh, we would love any feedback, preferably positive, um, 
and just not merely feedback on what we've been saying, but also you're welcome to add your own voice to it as well. That's I'm glad you said that part. Cause as yeah. far as if people like, don't like it, I mean, there's a lot of movie podcasts you could listen to. <laughs> yeah, but are, we want them to listen to this one. <laughs> right. But like, we're not, I mean, I might be a basic bro the rest of my life, but this is not a basic bro cast. <laughs> All right. Start a basic bro cast. <laughs> <laughs> like this is, part of what this is so yeah yeah you know i mean i hate to i know we want to have listeners and all but like if you think here's okay here's something else that bothers me okay that has nothing to do with this but it's sort of the same thing i uh read a couple of heavy metal blogs like news blogs because i like heavy metal and i would say on almost any given post on say metal injection Mm -hmm. Half of the comments are about whether or not the subject of the post is metal enough to be discussed on a metal blog. And it drives me crazy. Yeah. Although there is a bit of, I mean, I kind of laugh at it a little bit too. I do sure. kind of enjoy, like sometimes I'll see a post about something and I'll be like, oh, I can't wait to read the comments on this. <laughs> <laughs> These d- dummies are really going to be up in arms on this one. But I, I sort of feel the same way. It's like if you have a really strict idea of what we should be talking about on the show, go find a show that's talking about that. That's how I feel. But I'm glad you brought up the other thing because we don't want this to be like David and Tyler telling you how it is. Yeah. We like, you know, this is a a podcasting and radio is very intimate. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like to feel that we are in some way friends with uh, the listeners. I mean, in some cases I have become friends with listeners. Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, if you are, uh, interested in adding this way. I mean, there's two reasons we encourage people to comment on the website because we want it a, because we want it to be a larger conversation, mm-hmm. um, that encompasses more listeners and B because we want, we want you to go to our website more often. Indeed. You got to get them clicks. Um, but, uh, please. Yeah. If you do have something to add to the conversation, uh, yeah. please comment. That would be great. Sure. And, and if you don't, you can shut up or get out. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah. And, and I have been that, person like i've been listening to podcasts that i love and then suddenly things take a, a political turn but often the re what turns me off of it is that the politics are very cut and dry and you have somebody who has their opinion and they are not interested in seeing somebody else's opinion <laughs> and while i do think that, that some people are more right uh, certain opinions are more right than others uh, i feel like i know what you think yeah more right more right than others. Well, that's true. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. And some are more left. What are you talking about? Um, but the, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I think that because honestly, because David and I disagree on so many political things, I feel like that inherently causes us to not be as insulting as we might otherwise be. If we, maybe if, yeah. if you be- believe the same thing I did or vice versa. And it just, yeah, because then it turns into an echo chamber. Yes. Which is no fun for anybody. Okay. So, we should move on. Yes. Okay. Uh, we've got another sponsor. And listeners, this one may seem a little strange to you, but I love it. I love it. All right. I think it's fantastic. This episode is brought to you by Ryan Barrett, CPA. Yes, I recognize that the way I read that sounds like a Kickstarter for a web series. It is not. It's a real person, and he's a CPA. Um, it sounded like Ryan Barrett, PI. Yeah, exactly. But he's just very... Didn't uh, Didn't Goebel have a thing where it was... Uh, he had a character that was a uh, Magnum's brother and it was like Magnum CPA and it's just like <laughs> Bob Magnum. But anyway, uh, 
All right, so this may seem like a strange sponsorship for a film podcast, but I'm actually very happy that Ryan contacted us. And everybody needs their taxes yeah. and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, film school so did not... Corporations. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, film school did not prepare me for how to deal with complex financial issues, such as taxes and that sort of thing. And so, you know, if you're like me and you're a film person and that is your primary love in life, it's not, I don't mean to imply that you can't handle this on your own, but it's helpful. It's helpful to have somebody out there. And so we thought like this would be a good opportunity for, for you guys to hear about someone who, uh, you know, who could be a resource for that. So, uh, okay. So, and here's the thing. So Ryan is based in Colorado, but he has experience working with clients in all 50 States. So you can talk to him, you can get, uh, advice, uh, and then specific help as well. Um, so he can help with the tax needs of both individuals and small businesses. Uh, he has very reasonable rates, uh, and you can find him at Ryan Barrett CPA. That's R Y A N B A R R E T T CPA dot com. Or if you don't want to type all that in, you can just click on the ad at battleshippretension.com. We're very excited to be telling you about his services and uh, and take advantage of it because because uh, I think it'll be very uh, it can be very helpful. So there we go. Thank you, Ryan. Um, and also, uh, I got to tell you real quick about tweakedaudio.com and their Hegon. Are we still going with that pronunciation? Yep, I've never Hegon emailed them. sports, uh, sports uh, earbuds. They, they make fantastic earbuds mm-hmm. uh, across the board, Tweak does. They're professional quality sounding uh, at, a, at, a, at a very reasonable price. And now they have a new line of sports-centric earbuds. These are meant to be used for sports. I use them in the gym today, David. Okay. Good they for you. They didn't fall out or nothing. Good for you for going to the gym. Um, I have not been to the gym in a long time. Uh, <laughs> got that pedometer app on my phone, though. I don't know what that is. Trying to keep track of my steps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jen has a Fitbit. Oh, so does uh, my wife. Um, they should go walking together. Yeah. Well, uh, they, <laughs> they could walk from our respective homes and meet in the middle and have all their steps for the day. That's true. And, probably and then you and I would go pick them up. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, tweakedaudio.com. Hegon is the uh, fantastic line of sports earbuds. Uh, they're already a low, low price, but if you uh, go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension, you get one-third off and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com, offer code pretension. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Well past the mark of when I wanted to. Yeah. But this episode, we've talked about a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but... There can be, there could have been no doubt from the beginning. Indeed, what sort of topic our episode was going to entail? Mm-hmm. What we're going to be covering today? Well, surely it could be anything. I mean, we talk about so many different types of things. Right. I mean, obviously, like this is just uh, just another episode. No, see, right? the key is in the number. It's like a, it's huh. almost like unlocking a safe. Right? Okay, all right. You put in the right number, and that's any number that is divisible by. That, no, that ends in a zero, mm-hmm. but is not divisible by 50. Okay. Right? Yes. Those are profile episodes. Mm-hmm. So. So uh, you're telling me, well, hang on a minute. Well, what, what episode number is this? This is episode 440. 440. So. So it's not divisible by 50. You're, uh, that's true. I mean, it is. Anything can be, I mean, going to be divided by 50, but you're not going to end up with like a, right, like a right. solid you're number. You're not going to get a, a whole integer. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. Um, so, so are you saying, okay, so 440, hang on, let me, it's been a while since I've taken a math class. So let me, uh, maybe I can talk to Ryan Barrett about this. Um, so by my calculations, 
this is a profile episode, correct? That's right. Okay. Do you want to know who we're profiling? I would love to know. Uh, no, we don't always do this, but this is someone who ha- is uh, top-lining, headlining a movie that is out this weekend. Indeed. Uh, the movie is directed by Paul Weitz. It's called Grandma. Mm-hmm. And the star of that movie is the great Lily Tomlin. Indeed. Uh, and so we are going to take a look at the career of Lily Tomlin. With yeah. apologies to a couple of movies that we... Uh, I think we've got the major ones with the exception of all of me, I think is the probably the biggest one we're leaving yeah, off I, I th- I that I can so. think of. Um, um, and we weren't really going to mention in the band played on because it's, I haven't seen it. It's an ensemble. Yeah. It was a made for, for a TV time. movie about the, the outbreak of AIDS in the early eighties. Um, and I did see it, uh, many years ago. I don't right. really, and it is an ensemble. She's one of many, many people, which is actually it, so. something that's going to come up more than once in this. It, uh, that is an odd, uh, recurring thing in her, in her filmography. But now, David, uh, this was your choice. I don't mean to imply that I'm not happy about it, but, but I saw grandma a couple weeks right. ago and I think I came to you saying like, we got to do this. It's yeah. Cause was there any particular reason why? Well, she's fantastic in the movie. Okay. And there, there are certain things like, cause she doesn't, she's not someone who's in movies constantly as we'll see. And there's a lot of TV on here and not mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of TV on here. Um, but she's, I just, I, I think she's fantastic, Lily Tomlin, and I always have, but I always often have this thing because I don't watch all of the shows she's on or she's been, because she's not constantly mm-hmm. in stuff. Um, it's like every couple of years I go, oh, right, I love Lily Tomlin. You yeah. know, I, I think uh, we'll talk about um, Eastbound and Down in a bit, um, but that's when she's only on three episodes, I think, but I just showed you her character introduction. Yeah. And that was one of those moments that I had a few years ago of being like, Oh fuck. Lily Tomlin is so great. Yep. Um, and I think I like her because she, uh, I like, I like to think uh, every once in a while I'll think, uh, you know, I don't really have any ambitions on, uh, becoming a movie star or anything like that, but I do like to think, if I were okay, like, I don't think I'm someone who, uh, okay. I think there are, there are actors who work a lot either because they just love acting and they love working a lot. Yeah. Um, and obviously there are actors who work a lot because they need to, sure. but I'm talking about successful actors who don't financially need to work all the time. Sure. They either love acting and just want to work all the time or they like money or have money problems and they take (laughs) roles. And I feel like Lily Tomlin has the kind of career that I would like. I feel like she doesn't, there's not a lot of crap on here. You know, we, we don't have that many movies and there's a couple of there in the eighties and nineties. There were some like big studio comedies that she had small parts in that are, you know, but I feel like, well, and also I think she's the type of performer that you can guarantee that even if she has, even if she's in a middle of the road comedy her part of it will be, will be good. Yes. It, it, she reminds me in a lot of ways. I, when I talk about her, I talk about her in the same way. I don't think I, I don't think I love her quite as much as one of the first profiles we did many years ago was Madeline Kahn. Right. Yeah. And I think of her in a similar way, which is you put her in a mo- in a movie, your movie will get better by, I'm going to say one letter grade. Right. Yeah. If that's, not more. That's true. That's yeah. I remember the onion had that article about, Michael Keaton a few years ago. Do you remember that? It was like, no, I new study shows that 83% of movies would be improved by presence of Michael Keaton. <laughs> Can't argue with, <laughs> yeah, Can't uh, argue with that. And Lily Tomlin's kind of the same way. I'm always happy when she shows up. Yeah. Now, um, and what's she, in, Okay, go ahead. And she is also an interesting cultural phenomenon because everybody knows who she is. 
Right. Yeah. They, they might not know her by name, but they also might like, she's just, she's been around for so long and she is so she's in so many things that I think every generation probably has an association with her yeah. uh, at some point. And just, and I think that's kind of amazing. There's not many other actors, uh, much less character actors that you can say that about that aren't again, that aren't stars. She's not necessarily right. a star, but everybody knows who she is. Yeah. And now we're going to, um, let's put a pin in the fact that you said character actor. Cause I want to come back to, okay. to that and whether or not it fits, uh, her. Okay. Um, but now we are, limiting ourselves to her on-screen work because she's also a, a writer and started yeah. as a, a, a writer. And I think wrote on um, the, I want to say she wrote on the short-lived Richard Pryor uh, oh, okay. sketch show, which okay. I've seen. I watched some of. I've not seen any it, of it. It came out. They, at the time that I worked at a video store, they, it was released on DVD. It wasn't a very good DVD package, hmm. um, but I watched some of it there and it's really all over the place. It really is a weird blend of like cheesy broad sketches and then like really pointed hmm. like, um, uh, cultural and political stuff nice. that is clearly coming from Richard Pryor and from Paul Mooney, who was uh, mm-hmm. like, I think maybe the head writer on the show. Um, but we're, so we're, we're not talking about, about that. Right. Um, well, and then she also did a lot of stage work. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting. She has characters that people know her as like Edith Ann <laughs> And, uh, and I don't remember the name of her. She, she had a character that would eventually show up on Saturday night, Saturday night live, uh, as a, a, a phone company operator. Right. Her name is something like Evelyn or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it is, but like she had these characters that people that would show up in things and that's, but they weren't necessarily screen characters. I think they started as stage characters. Yeah. Um, and that's why I want to get to the uh, question of her as a character actor. Cause I think she is, but in a way that. You know, we were talking about, uh, in the previous segment, talking about words that we come to define in more limited ways than they mm-hmm. actually mean. And I think we tend, I think we tend to think of, uh, uh, you know, film fans or just in general society, culture, tends to think of the word character actor as being more often than not a dramatic thing. Do you know uh, what I mean? I don't, usually. You don't? I don't. Uh, yeah, that's strange. I don't. Uh, because I feel like, I feel like there's a bit of an anonymity that is attached to the idea, to the term character actor, Hmm. you know, like the, Hey, it's that guy type of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't know who these people are, but they kind of, they show up a lot. They're sturdy and they're reliable. And because Leah Tomlin is so often funny, even Mm -hmm. in character roles, like in some of the small ones we'll, we'll get to, I don't think that I think of her as a character actor though i should but you apparently don't have this uh yeah i'm 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 interested in this because the hey it's that guys i do not think of as character actors i mean they are that but they have not like they are that by nature of the types of roles that they play but i think of those as like and this sounds awful to say but like they're like stock actors like they are the people that you just we need someone to make this role memorable for one scene. Let's plug them in there. Whereas okay. I, when I think of a character ac- actor, I think of like a Paul Giamatti. Um, okay. Who but he's a star. He is now. Yeah. And I guess he used to be a, that guy. So I guess like there's a lot Speaking of, of straight out of Compton. That's right. He's in that. Um, yeah, he's like the and guy. Oh, is he? Yeah. He's he might, a big part of the movie. He might be the and guy in love and mercy as well. Um, um, but yeah. And just, 
you know, he, he plays characters and I wasn't he in like, I think he was in rock of ages. Um, he's really, yeah, he's, he's often, and he was in private parts. He's in, he's often yeah. like an executive of some kind or, or someone behind right. the scenes because he, yeah, he did. He was comedic in private parts yeah. or even he was the butt of the joke, but it was a, comedic, sure, it sure. still takes a comedic actor to be that. Yeah. And also in a movie that I, literally hadn't thought about in forever until I realized, Oh, Paul Giamatti, F Gary Gray, the negotiator. That's right. And he was it, funny in that. He was a comic role in that too. Yeah. Um, which uh, do you think that movie holds up? I remember liking it at the time. I liked it at the time. I haven't seen it since then. And if I had to guess, I'd say no, <laughs> but F um, Gary Gray is a, I think a, a he's a reliable solid journeyman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's not say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that goes back f- like four years, but let's, um, let's jump in yeah, yeah, to so, Nashville yeah. because what, what I wanted to set up is that I think of her as a, a comic actress, a comic actor first. And I think of her as a comedian in the old fashioned sense of the word. Now, like, sure. When we think of the word comedian now, we think of standups. Yes. She's not a standup, but she is a comedian. Whereas I feel, I, in, in the sense that I feel like in most roles, and this is, you know, we, when we do these profiles, we often find themes. I already know that I'm one thing I'm going to talk about is that she is almost always playing for the joke, but not in a way that seems desperate. I mean, in a way, but in a way that comes very naturally from the character that she, uh, established. And that's what you're talking about. She has these characters. People mm-hmm. know she is a character actress in that sense that she establishes a character and then finds the funny in that and is almost always playing for that. But Nashville is not now because it it's kind not. of a sad role. Yeah. And there are, there are a lot of funny characters in it, but she is not one of them. She, if anything, if that film has a heart, it is her. Um, right which is interesting because she's not a performer, although she, her character does a little bit of performing uh, as well. Yeah. She was uh, nominated for an Oscar for this, um, for supporting actress. It was for one Nashville, of, we'll yeah, about. it was one of three. We've gotten the notes from listeners to say what movie we're talking about oh. more often. Oh yeah. Cause often we will like say it once and then talk for 20 minutes. Yeah, you guys know what we're talking about. Don't forget. Yeah. Um, this is Nashville. Now. Yeah. So the, yeah, the film was, uh, had three actresses nominated, uh, that year, wow. but, um, and she, it's, it's, I guess I'll, I guess I'll talk about this. Cause you mentioned, uh, that a, a theme for you is that she will always find, not even necessarily go for a joke. She'll find the joke. Yeah. Uh, it, they'll, or, she'll or find or the funny words. Funny. Even yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not a joke joke. She'll yeah. Yeah. Funny. Uh, a thing for me is that she exudes intelligence and she is often, even in, you know, even when she's in shows like The West Wing, when she's surrounded by smart characters, when I think of her in movies and TV shows, I f- tend to feel like her character is the smartest one in the room. Uh, she just has that quality to her. Like, yeah. so, uh, maybe just like the way that she uses her eyes and that she's always watching, always observing. Um and the way her character is in Nashville, she is, I think, the heart of the film, but also I think she is one of the smarter characters and one of the more stable characters. She's in a marriage that is not going well. She has, I believe, two deaf children, and so she's and that she loves and that she'll do anything for. And then she's involved with this very self-absorbed character uh, played by Keith Carradine who is this womanizing guy and he has, he seeks, he keeps pursuing her, yeah. um, to 
you know, so that she can cheat on her husband with this guy. And she eventually, she eventually does, but it's completely on her terms. And that is something that the Keith Carradine character is not used to. Mm-hmm. And he's used to getting things his way. And she's just, she's too stable a person to let him dictate the terms of this affair or one night stand, whatever you want to call it. And there's, and there does seem to be, there's a sadness there, but I feel like there's also a great deal of power and control and just she, what she does with silence is amazing. Like when she's just sitting and thinking, she's somebody who it's going to sound strange. There are characters, sorry, there are actors that, um, that I feel like can really show you without over, without overdoing it can show you like I'm thinking I'm processing information and she's one of them. The way that she just, again, I think it's a lot of it's in the eyes. Just when she's looking at people, she is assessing. She is always mm-hmm. processing what the next thing that she can say, the next thing that she can do, always processing what that, sh- what that can be and what that should be. And, and is always sizing you know, in a way this comes from the same place as like finding the humor, which is like sizing up the situation and then deciding this is the thing to do, which I think will often lead to a joke, which, which will often lead to humor because like, okay, I see how this works. I have something to say. Um, but this is a character who won't say something. She'll do something, but she won't often say something. And it's a, it's a wonderful performance. It's one of my favorite performances of all time. Um, and I do think that she is, uh, like she is one of the more sympathetic characters in a movie that does not have very many. Um, I would agree with that. That's been one of my problems. With <laughs> yeah. Um, but, be, but because she is so sympathetic and that we are so transfixed by her in the midst of a movie filled with gaudy characters. Um, I don't know. I think that's a testament to her strength as a, uh, as a performer and find that she was able to also find the strength in the, in a character that might've been too easy to play as simply pathetic. Right. Which wouldn't have been as interesting. Yeah. Uh, cause that's, that, that's the thing. And I'm kind of repeating something you've, you've already said here, but, uh, because there are so many big personalities in the movie, uh, it would be easier for her to be lost. I oh guess. yeah. Just and by totally swallowed up and, and by being so, um, having such solid footing in the character and in the location and everything, mm-hmm. um, she, uh, I, I guess the word we're looking for, the word we haven't used, or I don't think we have, maybe you said it is, is presence mm-hmm. that she has a, uh, when you talk about her, like sizing up the situation, she has a presence in the fact that in the sense that like when she's not talking in a scene, we know, and this is, I think, the sign of a lot of good actors, that we know this is still the character. Even mm-hmm. when she's not talking, she's still being the character. She's still thinking. Yeah. And I think that gives the presence that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, let's talk about the Saturday Night Live sketch. Okay. That was, so. Which reminds me, by the way, I had to look it up. I had it backwards. She did not write, write on the Richard Pryor show when she had the Lily Tomlin show, which we're not talking about because we haven't seen it. Right. She hired a then little known Richard Pryor. Oh, that's great. I had it the other way around. That's great. Um, yeah, so this character, when I think of Lily Tomlin, there are a number of movies and TV shows that I think of, but one of the things that I think of is this little sketch and it's a pre-recorded thing for Saturday night, Saturday night live in the early seventies. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's this character that she had created this, uh, phone operator. And so she, and it's, she's 
clearly what she did is she listened to a certain tone of voice in phone operators and thought just sort of you know, very snooty sort of, you know, <laughs> and then she, she's like, what must that person be like as far as mannerisms? <laughs> We're going to start with the voice and work outwards. And then so this very snooty kind of a pinched quality to her. And so she creates this, this character that it just hates everybody, but is like really, but is so superior to yeah. everyone she talks to that she doesn't have to just tell people she hates them. She can, because she doesn't have to, she's the phone company, yeah. even though she's just an operator, she's incredibly powerful. <laughs> and so there's a part. So this sketch is just her talking about like just giving a sort of a, a, a public service announcement on behalf of the phone company. And it's basically, Hey, you know how sometimes you'll have a call dropped. We don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and just, and then she's walking around amongst all this like machinery. And then she's, she says, look at all this, this wonderful technology. And then she like slams her elbows down on some buttons. She's like, we don't know what it does. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing I wanted to talk about because we were talking so much about her like, uh, smarts and, and presence and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she can be, uh, as an, as I think an improviser and a comic actress, can come up with a lot of great stuff to say. Oh yeah. But she does have quite a physical presence too. Yeah. And that little elbow <laughs> dance on the, yeah, that's uh, that's the highlight of that sketch for me. Yeah. It's uh, no, sketches and that bit. I guess. And at one point she just reaches back, pushes a button and goes up oh, just lost Peoria. Like yeah. she just, d- and then, and then it ends with her saying, uh, ending with like a bit of a threat to her voice where she's, she's like, we don't care. We don't have to, we're the phone company and just, ah, <laughs> oh, it's so marvelous. Uh, type in, uh, Saturday night live phone company, Lily Tomlin or whatever on, uh, yeah. but make sure you specify Saturday night live. Cause there are other things with that character on YouTube, oh. uh, which are very funny and are probably from her, you know, uh, from her variety show and such. Um, yeah. I wish we were talking more about, Edith Ann and stuff like that, but this is, I know this is not what it's going to be. About. I know. Um, cause there is no, it seems odd given her high profile in the eighties and the fact that people knew about that character. It seems odd that that character never got a movie. Pee Wee Herman got a movie. It seems like Edith Ann would have, Yeah, you know, in, in an almost, in an almost Clifford kind of way. Yeah. Oh, good God. Can you imagine? Um, um but yeah, so, uh, seek that out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, let's move on to some, a movie that I had been meaning to watch for a long time. And this gave me, the excuse to watch it. I got home from my cruise early yesterday mm-hmm. and spent the day with my sunburned ass on the, uh, not my sunburned ass, my sunburned legs. Yeah. You're walking around with your uh, ass hanging out. Yeah, That's not no, good. Um, on the couch, uh, with my wife, just watching TV and movies. And we watched, uh, two Lily Tomlin movies. We'll get to one later, but I finally got around to watching nine to five, okay. which is a movie that, uh, my wife loves and a lot of people love. And, uh, you know what? For good reason. Okay. It is, um, when you talk about her being... We are talking about 9 to 5. 9 to 5, yes. yes. Director Colin Higgins, <laughs> um, who also did The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, hmm. and then uh, sadly died young. That's oh, why that's you don't know his name, because he only yeah. did like three movies. Um, but t- we talk about her being the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what Violet... That's her whole character, is that she... Um, has worked at this company for 12 years and has seen, you know, men who have gone from entry-level positions in the time that she's been there are now her boss, like Dabney Coleman, who is the... I mean, the movie is Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. Those are the three. Dabney Coleman is the fourth wheel of the movie. Like, you... uh, He's... (laughs) He's fantastic. Um, He's he's an actor that I'm kind of bummed people have not 
he he was such a like an eighties and nineties guy. It's a bummer that people don't really remember him. He had a he had a nice bit on Boardwalk Empire, which I like. Oh, really? Okay, but yeah, it's it's a bummer. Um, but uh, but she's cle- like clearly the most competent person on this entire floor at this mm-hmm. uh, uh, sort of hilariously nondescript. Com- they never say what they did. It's literally the name of the company is Consolidated Companies Incorporated or something like that. <laughs> it's like it couldn't be more more generic. Um, we don't know what they do, um, but she whatever they do, she's the best at it. Uh, and uh, she by establishing that she gets to have a lot of fun with the middle section of the movie where she's the one who loses it. Okay. Because there is a, you know, madcap farcical type of thing where she thinks she's accidentally killed Dabney Coleman after, (laughs) after there's another woman who works in the office who's sort of like a spy for Dabney Coleman's character. After this woman has heard them talking about their fantasies of killing Dabney Coleman's character, she thinks she has accidentally killed him by accidentally putting rat poison in his coffee instead of uh, sweetener. <laughs> um, it turns out he fell without ever drinking the coffee and he mm-hmm. just went to the hospital to get a bump on his head. But the movie, and I was not expecting this from nine to five, given its reputation has a, a really dark <laughs> middle section where they go to the, she goes to the hospital after she thinks she's killed him because she overhears the doctor talking about someone else dying on the table. Yeah. And then to hide the evidence before there can be an autopsy, she steals the body. So there's a whole part of the three of them trying to hide a dead body, <laughs> which I did not know was going to be part of this movie. Um, yeah, you don't immediately think yeah. it's going to go into that. But before territory. realizing they, the, the body they have is not Dabney Coleman's character, and then it becomes about them having to sneak a dead body back into a hospital, which is funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... I love that we get the Lily Tomlin character who's the smartest person in the room. She's the most in control. You know, at the beginning we see Jane Fonda, her character, um, is a fantastic, like we talk about there not being, um, as many, like there being fewer good roles for women now than there were. This is something that has come up a lot. Like mm-hmm. it's not, it, things are not only are they not getting better. It seems, it seems like things are on a downward trend and this is evidence. Like we don't like, the roles for these three women are fantastic in this yeah. movie. Uh, and Jane Fonda's character is uh, a recently divorced woman who has not had a job. Uh, and so is starting as a secretary or whatever. They don't say what she does. There's like, the movie goes out of its way to make it clear that whatever they're actually doing is not important. Okay. They work in an office. That's, yeah. that's, it's every office. Um, and so we see Jane Fonda on her first day. There's a bit, there's a thing that's actually, it's a little too broad for my taste where the uh, very complicated copier machine goes haywire and starts like spitting colored paper oh, out yeah. everywhere. And it's like, all right, I, t- I work in an office. Like, I'm not sure what would have to go wrong. Like, first off who loaded every third paper, a different color <laughs> in the tray. Like that doesn't happen. Like, why would it be like, David, you don't know what this canary. business is. You don't yeah, know what they need to do. Um, anyway. Uh, and then, you know, Dolly Parton's character, everyone sees her as the uh, ditzy blonde. And right. it's because Dabney Coleman's character, is, who is married, mm-hmm. has been trying to sleep with Dolly Parton's character for a long time. And then behind her back, essentially telling all the other men in the office that he is sleeping with ah. her. And so uh, no one takes her seriously. 
Uh, and so Violet Lily Tomlin is the, you know, the, the, the core of the three and really of the entire office. And so when she loses it, that's all mm. the more funny because of it. And that's, uh, I guess goes back to what we're, we're talking about, about her finding what's funny and what, yeah. and, and, and what she can do. I mean, this is we're only the third thing we're talking about, which means we should probably speed it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, but unlike Nashville, you know, we talked about her being in a lot of ensemble things. This is, she's a, one of the three leads of the movie. And yeah. so it's different than it, it's, it's basically her taking like a sketch character actress mentality and stretching it out over the course of a movie, you know, mm-hmm. and establishing who this character is so that when it, when she breaks, it's all the more funny, which is, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like a, a sketch drawn out. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Cause yeah. Okay. The movie, she reportedly delay, I guess she had enough power in the early ages to do this. She delayed production on the incredible shrinking woman hmm. because she wanted to do nine to five. Oh, uh, she's like incredible. shrinking woman was like all but set up, I guess already. And she initially said no to nine to five. And then she read the script. I don't know if this is true or apocryphal. This is what I read today. That once she read the script, she was like, let's make this happen. And, uh, ended up getting incredible shrinking woman moved back. Now, do you have much to say about incredible shrinking woman? You saw it as a kid. I saw it as a kid. And for reasons I cannot even remember, I was deeply disturbed by it. Uh, I should say I was like seven, maybe even six, um, when I saw it and I watched it with my parents and, I don't remember anything that happened in it. I don't remember anything about her performance. Uh, that is not what I'm talking about right now. I'm just talking about the, the fact that I have, when I think of incredible shrinking woman, I think of like, Oh, that's that creepy movie. It's like, <laughs> well, I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe she, enc- you know, maybe she encounters a spider or something. That's what happened in, uh, the shrinking man or whatever, uh, in the fifties or whatever that sci-fi movie is. Um, yeah, I don't know what it was that just threw me off. Maybe it was just like, oh, people don't shrink. You know, like I'm six, <laughs> again, I'm six or seven years old. Um, uh, but whatever it is, yeah, I, I, I'd be fascinated to revisit the movie and see what it was. That, and will I still will I still find it unsettling? If I had to guess, I'd say probably not. But um, you never know. Okay, now we're going to talk about a movie that I know you haven't seen. Uh, although I do recommend it to okay. people, even though it's not a movie that seems to have never gets talked about. Okay. It's called big business. Oh, that's right. Yes. It's, um, uh, Lily Tomlin and Bette Midler each playing dual roles. Mm-hmm. It is directed by Jim Abrahams of Zucker, Abraham Zucker. Okay. Uh, and it, um, I don't think it got very good reviews upon release. And it's one of those things that like, yeah, I guess if it were a new movie that I like went to see in a theater at the time, I'd be maybe a little underwhelmed by it, but there's, a certain charm that a movie develops over time. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that it's 20, Oh God, 27 years old now, I guess. Uh, and it is so representative of its era and it's so, it has such little quirks in it that brought to you by Jim Abrahams. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not a spoof like his other stuff, right? but it does have like weird. Some things are just like, really broad and just like happen like, yeah, that happens. Let's just write it off. Like, okay. but it with a, like not out of laziness out of like sort of, uh, we know we're making a movie. This is fun. Hmm. Uh, that I think feels like Jim Abraham's to me, like having fun with the movie. But the, the, the premise is that, um, a, uh, 
in the 1940s, it's where it starts. A uh, rich late 1940s, a rich man, uh, rich couple. The wife is pregnant. Are driving on a drive to the country, and she goes into labor. Mm-hmm. And they go to the nearest hospital, and the woman says, "You can't. This hospital is only for employees of the lumber company that like runs this town." And this guy who's rich, he says, "Then I'll buy it." He buys the lumber company. <laughs> okay. They have their twins the same time that another. Uh, you know, country bumpkin couple sure. also has twins. They get mixed up so that one twin, they, ch- you know, there's like one Lily Tomlin, one Bette Midler in the country, one Lily Tomlin, one Bette Midler in the city. Let me ask you a question uh-huh. real quick. I, I recognize that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be insulting or anything, uh-huh. but like, I feel like this type of story could happen in either the 1920s or the 1980s and that's it <laughs> i don't know why but for some reason just like these these specific type of high concept comedies yeah they just seem and again i i, rec- I recognize like in the in the in the 90s and the in the 2000s and stuff i recognize there are big there are high concept comedies but there's something about this specific type of high concept comedy that just seems 80s to me Can, do, am i am i wrong in thinking that yeah, well, this movie definitely does bridge. I don't know about the twenties, but it does ha- like have some Preston Sturgis in it. Okay, um, uh, and that, that is high praise, and it's not as good as those, but it does have the this goofy, high concept, uh, madcap feeling madcap, to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, and, I was just it was just yeah. something I was thinking. Go on. Uh, but so basically, the point here is that we get to see them in dual roles, mm-hmm. um, and uh, both. The the fun thing is, I guess that the the it, both Lily Tomlin characters would be more at home in the country. So the one who does live in the country is more in charge, while the Bette Midler character is unhappy. Mm-hmm. And then in the city, the Bette Midler character is in charge. Oh, okay. And Lily Tomlin character is unhappy and yearns for a simpler life and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so she gets to play variations on the same thing, but the country Sadie, I think, is her is uh, Lily Tomlin's character. Sounds name, pretty countryish. Is the best character in the movie. All right, because. And it all comes down to one scene when she goes to the offices where she doesn't really yet realize yet that they're twins. They actually, they don't find that out until almost the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of farcical like that. Um, but she's at the offices of the twins and she has become convinced that they're spying on her because all these coincidences keep happening. Yeah. They're keeping tabs or something. And so she's walking around this office, assuming everyone knows who she is and is keeping tabs on her being sassy and no one has any idea what is going on. Um, and it's the funniest part of the movie cause she just gets to play. So like she's so smarmy and haughty about it, but in like a, in like a country stubborn type of, yeah, way, yeah. you know, not like it's not like she's, this isn't city Sadie. This is country Sadie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, again, she thinks they're spying on her and she has the line like, She's talking about, you know, uh, what else do you want to know about me? And she says, <laughs> best line of the movie. She says, uh, I'm wearing my Tuesday panties, but I guess you already knew that. And then she does a little dance. <laughs> it's, it's worth seeing the movie, uh, for that scene alone. Um, all right, let's, uh, again, we're not talking about all of me. Let's move on to shortcuts. All right. Another, uh, Robert Altman film. I'll be talking about, uh, yet another one before the episode is over. Um, yeah. Uh, now you've seen shortcuts somewhat recently, correct? Somewhat recently. Yeah. Um, 
what do you what do you think of her performance in, in Shortcuts or I, her character in general? Um, I think you're not a big fan of Shortcuts, right? Uh, no, but I I, I I do think she's great, um, mm-hmm. and I like that. Uh, again, we'll get, we keep on coming back to this definition of her uh, or, or defining her career or her talents in terms of um, comedic, like sketch character work, mm-hmm. and I feel like her ability to be on to be in the same world as whoever she's in the scene with yeah, is fantastic because I feel like on the surface, when I think Lily Tomlin and Tom Waits, yeah. that seems like a weird pair, but it doesn't at all. Like it seems so perfect. They're fantastic together. Yeah. Um, and the Lily Tomlin and Buck Henry, it's like, cause, because they go to the cafe at one point, right? Oh, Buck that's Henry right. And, oh yeah. And they're looking, Oh, that's another thing. Cause yeah, Buck Henry and them are like looking up her skirt. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, we're talking about almost, 20 years between Nashville and shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And these, those are like the only two movies. That's not true. We'll get some some other stuff, but she's not often, uh, she doesn't often play very sexualized characters. Right. But for some reason in these two movies, uh, she does and she's fantastic. In it. Yeah. And like, I guess, uh, yeah, you don't think of her as being a sex symbol, but yeah. she's, um, so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's such a, there's like an earthiness to her. Do you know what I mean? Sure. There's, there's, there's a very sort of sensual quality mm-hmm. to her, to her presence. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, this is going to sound strange. Um, there are characters in movies and TV shows and also people in life that you just somehow can't picture having sex. <laughs> or just that they're not even aware of it or it's nothing they would ever want to do. But like she plays characters that are just, that are real people and that engage in this sort of thing and are very aware of it and are perfectly okay with it. And yeah. And you wouldn't think it from her because she's, you know, she is not conventionally attractive. But um, she's sexy in shortcuts, I think. Yeah. Which is odd because her character's also older. Right. You know like what I mean? Hey, hey, I got no, I got no well, that. that's fine. Yeah, that's true. But it's, <laughs> it's just odd that like an older, you know, cafe waitress that this is a part of who she is right. as a character. But I think that's an interesting part of Lily Tomlin's performance. But then, yeah. And those scenes with Tom Waits are very interesting because their dynamic somehow reminded me of the show Roseanne. Okay. Um, there's a working class quality to them. And then there's a part where the two of them are, they live in a trailer, you yeah. know, um, and the cycle that they go through, which is she gets, you know, he gets mad, she gets mad. They yell out in public and then he leaves. And then, uh, a neighbor is, is has stuck her head out. And I remember, I still remember she, she's like, she's like, I go back inside, Pat. It's nothing you haven't seen before. Yeah. And just like, <laughs> and it's funny, but it's also, there's a sadness to there. That's like, this is something the neighbor is aware of because this is a thing that happens from time to time. But then to me, what really stands out oddly enough is when Tom Waits comes back and they reconcile and they have the time of their life, you know, they, they love each other and it's maybe not the most, maybe it's a little bit destructive, but um, I don't know. We get more, there's more Lily Tomlin without Tom Waits in the movie than there is Tom Waits without Lily Tomlin. Yes. And that scene when she hits the kid with her car. Yeah. You see a side of her you hadn't seen before. And so I get the impression, yeah, they do go through the cycle and she does love this guy, but you get the impression that 
by some, you know, by whatever rubric we're going to judge things, you know, just in life, she could maybe do better. Oh, sure. Absolutely. But her, she has done better. Like she, you know, she has a, uh, a daughter, uh, by a different right, person. Right. Yeah. yeah. But her, uh, attraction and her love for this man keep her in a way. And this, I guess this is something I like about it because I don't want to say it keeps her down because mm-hmm. that's very judgy and, you know, sort of, uh, uh, adhering to a sort of a, a very sort of American idea of what, uh, success is. Sure. Um, but she, stays in the life that she is for this man. And, but the movie doesn't make that sad. Like you said, it ends with them yeah. in the end. They're partying uh, yeah. an all night party of two and yeah. having a blast. Yeah. And they've got like, they've got uh lays around their necks <laughs> and they're, right, yeah. and they're, and they're singing. And then like when the earthquake happens, it's a big earthquake. Yeah. And they're, they're like, all right, we're, it's the big one. We're going down together. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, and then the earthquake stops and she's like, Earl, it wasn't the big one <laughs> and just like it was very funny but that scene with the kid yeah when she hits the kid with her car and she's just like it's it's hard to explain that her performance in that scene it it's it sort of reminds me this is going to sound strange like of uh tom hanks and at the end of captain phillips like she has to process so much stuff uh-huh. at that moment um she has to take care of this kid which I, so there's a mother instinct but then there's also like, holy shit, what have I done? Right. And it's like, okay, I want this kid to be okay, not merely for the kid's sake. Right. You know, and so there's all this, and you can see the panic. You can see the the genuine care that she has for the kid, but also a sense of self-preservation. All of this happening at once. It's a really wonderful scene. And yeah. I think it's also very well written, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of improv in there as well, because it just feels so naturalistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I love her performance in that film. Yeah, that's that's one of the... It's one. It's one. Yeah, definitely one of the best parts of that movie because that movie does have problems with. Uh, I, I, I think that those two characters, especially, I think, do what the movie should be doing, which is uh, what it and what it does when it's when it's be, when it's at its best, which is uh, reminding the audience that the pe- people that we might think of as low lives or scumbags mm-hmm. uh, or think or you know rich cold you know yeah. people that we might have judgments about yeah are all human and maybe um in a very this is a very sort of i don't know i, don't know, I think it's a very sort of liberal, liberal point of view that we have more in common than there are more there are more things about people that are similar than different i think that's uh, hmm. uh something that uh i don't know you mean uh, politically liberal or uh philosophically liberal? i think philosophically liberal that's okay. something that i think tends to come up a lot and i think the movie does it very well in that case and then in some cases it doesn't where it's like with like with fred ward's character it's like yeah i'm not on this guy's side <laughs> yeah there's and, and tim robbins character as well like there's there's so many characters and i think that to me is the difference between not that anybody asked that's the difference between shortcuts and nashville i think nashville there's actually a genuine love for these characters, even the ones that are kind of bastards uh, and just an, I love and an understanding that like, yeah, they're kind of bastards, but you know, nobody's perfect. Whereas this one's like, fuck everyone. <laughs> right? <laughs> Boy, it would be great if, wouldn't it be great if this earthquake just made all these people die? That'd be yeah. really great. Yeah. Especially uh, Chris Penn. Especially. Yeah. Chris Penn's character. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Indeed. Uh, all right. We don't have much to say about the Beverly Hillbillies. I saw it once when it was like probably new to video, so I don't remember it as, that as much. did I. Yeah, 
but she's uh uh she but she she's not one of the hillbillies she's like the no. rich lady or she's the assistant of is it Debney Coleman huh maybe I don't remember exactly, but yes, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I just it was she, the early nineties after all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just remember that she brandishes it. She uses a shotgun at one point late in the movie. Oh, okay. She, cause, uh, Rob Schneider's like a scumbag, right? I didn't even remember he was in it. See, that's how, and I should, spe- and I, and I specified to you and I'll specify to the listener that my, I was basically in shock when I saw it because my brother and I had gone to rent the film uh, and then get some Taco Bell. And then on the way home, uh, we were driving way too fast, hit a patch of dirt and, uh, went over a curb and flipped the car. And, uh, I was like 11, 12. Covered in shredded cheese at this point. <laughs> right? Uh, no, but I did have a shard of glass in my ear that was just rattling around and fell out in the shower a couple days later. Jeez Louise. Yeah, it was terrifying. A couple days later. Yeah. It was just in there and I couldn't get it out. Oh my. And, um, uh, so yeah. So when we bet, when we, if you died renting Beverly Hillbillies, I think about it so often (laughs) you have no idea. Um, but yeah. And so the next day we went back to get, or later that night we went back to the car to get out of it. What we could, including that VHS copy, which we watched the next day. And I would venture to say I wasn't in the best mindset to watch it. Uh, (laughs) if somebody can be. And, uh, so yeah, I don't remember much. Well, she fires a shotgun. at one. Okay. Which is fun. All right, let's move on to flirting with disaster, which okay. is the other one that I watched yesterday because I yeah. had never seen it before. Yeah. And I saw it back in uh, film school. So it's been a while since I've seen it. Okay. Uh, it's really, really good. I love it. Um, she doesn't show up. She and Ellen Alda don't show up until the very end. Mm-hmm. By the way, we got to like, I know we have like a growing list that we keep in our heads. We should write down mm-hmm. Alan Alda. We got to do a profile on Ellen Alda. And what does that mean for you? Uh, wait, what do you mean? That means you're going to have to finally finish up the West Wing. That doesn't mean that. In his Emmy winning role in the West Wing. Do they have scenes together in the West Wing? They must, right? I believe they have one scene together. Yes. Um, cause I, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the West Wing, uh, later. Um, but, uh, yeah, flirting with disaster, uh, is a fantastic movie. And the, I think the movie is sort of, point of view is it's all these people who Ben Stiller's character, but really all of them who are unhappy with their lives because they're convinced there must be something better out there than what they have. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. He's looking for his birth parents. He's also like developing a crush on Taylor Leone's character. Meanwhile, Patricia Arquette is, um, you know, uh, seeking attention from Josh Brolin's character. Yeah. Who's, also looking to stray from his relationship and like everyone, no one's happy. Yeah. Even though they all have great, a lot of, a lot to be happy about. And so the movie's sort of point of view is, uh, be appreciative of what you have. Yes. And Lily Tomlin and all his characters are kind of, uh, they're the last, the last, like the nail in the coffin that drives that home because Mm -hmm. they, they seem so warm and interesting and inviting mm-hmm. when he finally finds up going from San Diego to rural Michigan to Antelope Wells, Arizona yeah. is where it ends up. He's finally found his birth parents. They're such unique people yeah. and they turn out to be like just crazy asshole monsters yeah. who like leave Richard Jenkins tripping in the middle of the desert, yeah. steal Ben Stiller's <laughs> rental car and drive off to Mexico together. <laughs> I guess spoilers. That's like the end of the movie. But, uh, they're they're awful. Um, 
but then like those two, Lily Tomlin and Ellen Alda are so great together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when, when Richard Jenkins is actually accidentally dosed with acid and all the, Ellen, all the keeps insisting he'll be okay. She's a great guide. He keeps <laughs> saying she's a great guide. And then when you see her actually try to guide him, she's like, think what's your favorite animal? And he's like, Oh, it's a dog, uh, St. Bernard. And he's like, she's like, okay, St. Bernard, your brother fire. And he's like, wait, no, I want to change it to, and he keeps changing the kind of dog. And she's just like, it doesn't matter what kind of fucking dog we're settling with the St. Bernard. <laughs> like she's clearly not a good guide. Yeah. She's, uh, yeah, these are people who are full of themselves, uh, and, um, are incredibly rude, uh, after seeming like these welcoming hippies. And they're set those, those Lily Tom and Ellen Alda, are just fantastic together. Yeah, I I saw the film years ago. I remember loving it. There are certain scenes I remember very well. Richard Jenkins, for example, uh, just tripping balls, which <laughs> is not a phrase I like to use, but uh, don't actually have much cause to use it very often. But um, yeah, and I remember the two of them. And then, so uh, so his, Ben Stiller's adopted parents, they are Mary, Mary Tyler Moore, and is it George Siegel? Yes, yeah, George Siegel. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah, and it's a great movie. And, and they're great, too. Yeah, and it's a good ensemble. Everyone in that movie is really, really good. And, and it's way more of an ensemble than I thought it was going to be. And there's like, yeah, that's true. It's like Ben Stiller's character seems to be the lead, but there's yeah. plenty. But it's like, it's the movie has such a good cast that there's almost... There are almost no speaking roles in the movie that aren't like somebody. Because yeah. I just mentioned, we mentioned a bunch of people uh, Ben Stiller, Patricia Arcad, Taylor, Josh Brolin, Richard Jenkins, Ellen Alda, Lily yeah. Tomlin, George Siegel, Mary Tyler Moore, but also Celia Weston mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, she always is. What's his name? David Patrick Kelly. Is that the actor? Yeah. Name? yeah. He's great. <laughs> and I remember, I think, I think. I hadn't heard the term, I'm sorry, everybody. I hadn't heard the term baby batter ever in my life (laughs) up until he says it in that movie. Um, (laughs) and of course he can sell it in a way that only he can because it's horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. That movie. Um, and it is, uh, I remember, I wish I had seen, I, I wish I had seen this movie years ago because I remember being on, um, when one time when I was producing, uh, Pilar Alessandra's podcast, you know, on screenwriting, uh, on the page, the yes. screenwriting podcast. And she was talking, we were trying to think of examples of characters who, uh, it, movie characters who aren't introduced until the third act and that actually working. Cause often, mm-hmm. often that's a bad choice to introduce a new character in yes. the third act. That's like a major, uh, character, but those two mm-hmm. are, textbook examples of how to do it right because there are yeah. presence even though we have no we have no idea we don't know anything about them but the fact of them somewhere out there are a presence and are in fact are the impetus for the whole yeah. movie they're basically and, the you know in a lot in a lot of ways they are the wizard of oz yeah in the sense <laughs> yeah, like that's a great it's, comparison. Like, it's yeah. a pr- they're a promise of a great thing and then you realize oh boy never mind yeah yeah and that's why they work in the third act because they are a destination they're characters, but they're also a destination. Yeah. Um, and then you have to, uh, I guess we're spoiled, but, uh, the, there's now I, I read apparently that not every version. So you might not have seen this. If you watched it on DVD, not mm-hmm. every version has the mid credits, uh, things like it'll, there's a few credits. It's like, everyone's having sex, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So okay. you didn't see that. I saw that. So they're like, they've escaped to Mexico with their 19 year old son, Lonnie. Yeah. 
they're having tantric sex yeah. in the bed and Lonnie comes into the room looking to steal some of their weed and they're not, they don't stop having tantric sex, yeah. but they yell at their son to get his own weed. <laughs> <laughs> That's their little scene. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. All right. Um, let's move on. Did you want to say anything about getting away with murder? Cause I have not seen. Oh that yes, one. that's right. Yeah. It's not a good movie. Um, okay. but it, it, this is an example of something that, uh, that I was talking about. Uh, yeah, the movie is quite terrible. Even I recognized it when I saw it on video at the time, it's got Dan Aykroyd in it as a guy who is living next to what appears to be a kindly old man played by Jack Lemon, uh, who is like an, a German immigrant, and uh, but it turns out this guy was a horrible uh, Nazi war criminal, and so Dan Aykroyd is trying to figure out what he can do about that, um, and that he's like, well, I guess I should kill this guy, right? Uh, I don't know, something like that. Anyway, it's not a terrible premise for a movie, but I just don't think they handle it very well. But anyway, uh, so Lily Tomlin is, um, I believe she's Jack Lemmon's daughter, and so she's doing a German accent and. I remember I remember uh even at the time thinking that she was one of the highlights because Jack Lemmon's character is it's not that he's uh senile or anything like that but he's older and he's you know he's not always 100% there whereas she is and so she's manipulative and she uh I think she's she this goes back to what we were talking about she tries to I think seduce Dan Aykroyd and um yeah, it's uh, it's not that good of a movie, but I remember liking her in it, and, and I don't have a whole lot to say beyond that, But so we can move on. Uh, well, my I don't have a whole lot to say is Disney's The Kid. Oh, okay. Which I saw at a movie theater in Myrtle Beach with my then-girlfriend. I was, uh, I guess I was 17? That's that probably right? about right, yeah. 17 years old. Yeah. I, saw it with my, I, went, I saw it with my mom. I don't remember her in it at all. Um, I went, I spent a week in Myrtle Beach... With my girlfriend's family, mm-hmm. which is weird. Um, just all that time with like, they're like a family unit and I'm just like there. Yeah. Um, and we, over the course of the week, we saw, if I remember correctly, the kid, Disney's the kid. Okay. The Patriot mm-hmm. and scary movie. Uh, it's all of those. 2000, not a good movie year. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially that summer, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't remember much about it. I, I remember more about the, the fact that I was in Myrtle Beach um, than anything else. Uh, but she's um, uh, Bruce Willis's character's assistant or oh, secretary okay. or something. That's another. I guess that's another theme we can talk about. Is she plays a lot of like office workers? Yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And Nine assist, to five and Beverly assistants. Hillbillies. Essentially, yeah. we'll get to the West Wing. Yeah. Um, um, Orange County. Let's get into Orange County as well, because okay. that's the next one on the list. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, she has really only one scene in Orange County, but it's a fun scene. She's the guidance counselor who essentially, through her own incompetence, that she does not care about. She might as well be this phone company character, uh-huh. but she's not doing the voice. Um, yeah. She she loses the main character's... Uh, she doesn't lose his transcript. She sends it to the wrong the wrong college. And now it's too late for him to try and get, uh, into, I believe Stanford is where he wants to go. And so, um, Oh no, she sends the wrong. Yeah. She gets the, the two, she gets his transcript mixed up with a different student whose grades are much, much worse. And, and there's there, it's, it's a very funny scene when she finally reveals that where he's, he gets the rejection notice and he's like, well, I don't understand what it is. So he goes in 
and she's looking at his transcript and she's like, well, I mean, you can't possibly have expected to get into Stanford with these grades. I mean, these are terrible, you know, and she just says it like with such, you know, like just shaming him. Uh And then he's like, that's not me. That's a different guy. And she's like, Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, and just like, (laughs) just like, but like not really that embarrassed or upset or anything doesn't matter to her. And then he gets really mad at her. And then I think either she or somebody else, uh, stuns him with a stun gun. I don't remember exactly, but, uh, coming back to me, but yeah, it's a, it's a great scene. And she just, and again, like this, it sticks out of my memory because her character is not smart. Um, she plays smart characters and this is a character who, while while there is the trademark nonchalance uh, of I don't give a shit about you, um, which you'll see in other things, um, she's she's not very competent and uh, and she seems yeah I don't know that's interesting it is a non because she has a, a a very uncommon mix that I think makes her stand out in these office worker roles mm-hmm. where she can be very officious yeah but also nonchalant so yeah. she's in many ways, perfect for office culture, but never an office drone to use that term. She always, uh, rises above the rest of the office culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I really want to watch that scene again. Doesn't it, doesn't it make you want to, doesn't it make you wish that she was given a character on like Mad Men or something? Uh Just like somebody who worked in the, in the firm for years and like, she's the, 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 the grand old woman of the office or yeah, something like that. Well, that like was, that. uh, this is Blankenship, right? Ida Blankenship. Oh, that's right. Yes. Played by, um, the woman who was, uh, Danny's mom and the karate kid. I do not remember who that is. I can't remember her. I can't remember the actress's name, but no. that's, uh, who played Mrs. Blankenship. All right. Good to know. Let's do a profile on her next time. <laughs> okay. Um, um, all right. Anything more about Orange County? Uh, no, we can move on. Let's move on to I Heart Huckabees, which, um, <laughs> It's, I guess it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about the fact that uh, things didn't go great David on David Russell called her dirty words on the set, and it no. became a – it went viral. It, yes. This one definitely went viral. Absolutely. I'm sure of it this time. Uh, I have never actually listened to this, and I don't want to. It sounds so uncomfortable. Um, have you? It's, I, it's not just listen. It's you watch it. Oh, you watch it. Okay, it, yeah, yeah. Which is all, even more uncomfortable. Oof. It is um, – it is uncomfortable, but it also ha- it also is kind of funny. Okay, in a way, because like David Russell, I mean, he's saying awful things, um, calling her the c word and all this stuff. Um, but there is some sort of humor to the fact that he keeps coming back. Like he he stormed, he keeps storming off mm-hmm. and coming back. And they're at a set that's like their office. She and Dustin Hoffman. Okay, and at one point, if I remember correctly. Dustin or uh, David Russell storms off the set, like past the camera and you think he's gone and he comes back in through the office door. And he comes <laughs> back into the set a different way and starts yelling again. It is kind of funny, but, um, it's not funny. Yeah. It's cause I, it's, it's never like when I, when I first heard of that, I didn't know the story about him on three Kings. Do you mm-hmm. know that story? Yeah. Um, shoving an extra and George Clooney, uh, getting in his face about it. Uh, so it definitely has, uh, soured me on David O. Russell, that story. And the fact that I haven't liked his, well, movies, I think post Huckabees all that much by his, by his, I think by his own admission, I think, didn't he have like some 
mental issues, oh, uh, maybe a bipolar situation. I think even I think his son actually also uh, has that. But I might oh. be I might be incorrect. But I think he has talked about that as he has gotten you know. Uh, you know, critical and Oscar acclaim over the last few years. I think a lot of people are saying like, okay, but that's great. Good for you for making the fighter. What did you, what happened here? You know? And so I think he has addressed it and said that he was in a very, he was obviously in a very bad place at the time. And you know, not that that excuses. Yeah. And I, I wonder if they're still, I mean, obviously she liked him enough after flirting with disaster to work with him again. So yeah, that's true. I wonder if they've reconciled, um, I, I hope so. I kind of don't care that much. Yeah. I don't know. Do you like, uh, what, did, uh, what has David Russell made since uh, I Heard Huckabee's? Well, he made um, Silver Linings Playbook, which I liked. Didn't see it. Uh, he made American Hustle, which I thought was pretty good. Just okay. Same as The Fighter. See, I think those two movies are just Oh, and okay. the fi- yeah, and he made The Fighter, which I actually loved. I loved The Fighter. Okay. And um, then he made, and then abandoned and changed his name, changed his name for Nailed, right? Oh yeah, yeah, but that doesn't count because he didn't. Right, he does not stand by that by any yeah. stretch. Yeah, um, um, but those movies I feel like are missing. I mean, American Hustle has some of it, but now we're doing a profile of David Russell all of a sudden. But they're missing like the weirdness of his there is earlier an, movies. There is an edge to him in the it, edge isn't the right word, but you, I hope uh, I'm sure you know what I mean. Like, there's a quality to him in his films that went away. I think in between I heart Huckabee's and silver linings uh, and, uh, and the, fight. the fighter, yeah. there are things, there are things Maybe in it was each of his him, movies. Um, briefly playing himself on a uh, gossip girl. What? <laughs> yep. Really? Yeah. That's weird. Uh, I'm trying to think what it was. He was, he was playing himself and, uh, God, what was it? Um, Serena was working as a production assistant on his production of, and now I can't remember. It was some like, it was like The Great Gatsby or something. But oh, I can't okay. remember what it was. Uh, and he played himself. I haven't seen a single minute of Gossip Girl, uh-huh. so I cannot help. I'm sorry. Um, we should maybe do a profile on David O. Russell at some point, just because I think it'd be in- interesting to sort of dissect the tone of his career uh, and what happened in between 2004 and 2010. Um, um, but anyway. Yeah. Well, let's, but let's, getting back to Ira Huckabee's. Yes, yes. Uh, what I think is great about it, because I really do love that movie. I do too. Um, I, I get the feeling that David Russell kind of said, both as a screenwriter and as a director kind of said, when it comes to the headier stuff that's going on here, you, the cast, just trust me mm-hmm. and you guys just treat this as a comedy. <laughs> and yeah. so like, uh, Lily Tomlin is kind of perfect for that because she has that, the smarts mm-hmm. and the groundedness and the edge, uh, I think to sell that, like there's something serious going on here with this, yeah. like, uh, with her weird detective agency. Yeah. Um, but she gets to also just be goofy and she and Dustin Hoffman just get to just be goofy all the yeah. time. Um, there's one part where she dives into the window of a car. Do you remember that? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how they did it because it's not, she goes like completely vertical, <laughs> yeah. like, like, like Superman <laughs> vertical, like directly into the car. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic world. That's, it's everything we've talked about with her, in terms of uh, her having the nonchalance mixed with the uh, the harder edge, mm-hmm. you know, because she she wants to help uh, um, Jason Schwartzman's character, yeah, but she also wants him to just shut up and let them do the helping. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's like kind oh, of yeah. kind of her character is like, 
we're here to help you, but not necessarily to be nice to you. And they do that when they talk to like uh, Jude Law and Naomi Watts as well. Yeah. They have their, they're almost like accusatory. Um, and so you get that. It's a very, very wordy movie. So she gets to yeah. do, show that sort of her uh, verbal uh, acuity and intelligence. Uh, but it's also a silly physical comedy as well. It's, yeah. it's so much that is perfect for her uh, and ended up being something i mean for other actors like it wasn't it's it's the kind of role you kind of movie you yeah lily Tomlin's perfect for we wouldn't maybe wouldn't have known that mark Wahlberg, dustin hoffman and Naomi watts were fantastic for this and, movie and jude law and jude like, law. i when i think but of I the like, movie does i he, think does he get to be as goofy in the movie because Naomi Watts goes he, like full on. Yeah. Well, he's goofy in a different way. Like just the way that his character is perpetually performing and just being like this upbeat kind right, of guy. Right, right. Uh, How am I not myself? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I, when I think of the movie, oddly enough, I actually think of him and Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg, who is allowed to be goofy, but also very, very broken. And there's a lot of sadness to his character as yeah. well. And but it's also him and Jason Schwartzman hitting each other in the face <laughs> with the rubber ball. Yes, that's true, man. <laughs> Yeah, I, when I saw that movie, I remember the way I described it, and it's you know completely hyperbolic, but like it's a movie that made me happy to be alive. It was invigorating. Like I felt like my brain was was operating on all cylinders, <laughs> and the fact that I was laughing at the same time was was great as well. So yeah, yeah fantastic it, movie. Yeah, listeners, go see it. Yeah, do you have it? I do. All right, let me borrow on that. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on to. I, I want to mention Will and Grace very quickly. Okay. Um, According to IMDb, she was in two episodes. I only remember one, which is kind of a uh, um, slamming doors farce type of episode where she uh, plays Will's new boss after Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder is his boss in a bunch of episodes. And then mm-hmm. he, I don't know, I don't know if he like goes to the loony bin or something because he was a <laughs> like goofy character. But she's the new boss and she's much more uh, strict and harder edged and um uh, she throws a dinner party for the three prospective candidates for a promotion. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's all, it's all in her apartment in this dinner party. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. She gets to play mean, which is, uh, fun, uh, but ultimate mean, but ultimately understanding and wise and smart. So it's a, it's a good role. It's a good, uh, performance for who she is. And, uh, I also remember Bobby Cannavale cause he was, uh, uh, he played one of Will's boyfriends for a stretch of uh, episodes mm. on Will and Grace. I love Will and Grace, by the way. I know you know that. I don't know if the listener knows. I don't think the listener knows that. That I love Will and Grace. Uh, it's like comfort food. I wish that like for a while, Lifetime was showing it constantly. Mm. Um, and they don't do that anymore. Although I found that the Hallmark Channel shows Frasier constantly. Oh, okay. And that's another one. Not to the extent of Will and Grace, but Frasier's another one. It's like, yeah, I can watch this for I the met next Eric, two hours. I met Eric McCormick. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, it's when I worked at Blockbuster, and uh, he came in, and he was a super nice guy, and he listened to my whole spiel about the Blockbuster Rewards program, and I'll be happy to tell you, I made that sale. All right. He, uh, he bought it. Yeah, I'm so. sure he's happy about that purchase now. Um, well, <laughs> for a number of reasons, I feel like it's nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Bobby Cannavale was... Uh, <laughs> A character who was a cop but got fired from a cop for got fired from being a cop for uh I think what was it he like 
let a robber get away because he was distracted by a nice pair of gloves at a department <laughs> store or something. It was like kind of, if you think about it, if the show didn't have the cred that it has, probably kind of those character would be kind of an offensive, like gay stereotype. I was going <laughs> to say like, it, 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 it astounds me that like there are people that, love will and grace that are very like for lack of a better term like gay friendly and and, and the show sort of, is yeah mostly so i think it can get away with that sort of thing but isn't the entire character of jack just this ridiculous yeah but stereotype? i think he's balanced out by is the yeah i do remember i think you had told me a joke so it was something like so the character of jack is like an actor right a stage actor or something yeah that's one of his careers yeah. Uh, oh, okay. And then, so at one point he says to Will, um, like, hey, somebody recognize me. Uh, you know, somebody uh, like called out to me today. And then Will says, like, I don't think, and I'm sorry, everybody. It's like, I don't think yelling faggot from a car <laughs> is uh, the same as being recognized. I see. I think you had told me that. And it's like, and I remember being like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty solid joke. That is, yeah. That, so. Yeah, that show needs, uh, yeah, more respect. Good um, show. Joe yeah, Biden uh, likes it. Oh, all right. Well, I <laughs> I guess I should start watching. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, let's move back into movies. And I think this is the last movie for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, pr- a Prairie Home Companion. That's right. Uh, uh, reuniting her with uh, Robert Altman yeah. on his final film. Part of a large ensemble once again. Yes. Uh, and more singing for her this time. Yeah. Even though she doesn't necessarily have that good of a voice, but that's not what this movie is about. No, but it's, uh, what, she and Meryl, Meryl Streep are, and then Lindsay Lohan is Meryl Streep's daughter? Yes. Is that right? Uh, it, I, I don't know if I've seen it since the theater, actually. Yeah, I don't know if I have either. Uh, but you remember it. So what do you I remember do. about it? Uh, well, one of the things that I remember about it is that, like, first off, I just, the movie in general is such an, an interesting has such an interesting tone. It really feels like it's somebody's last film. Like it's a, this interesting meditation yeah. on death. And so, um, but yeah. And the role that she and, and Meryl Streep play, I, it'll be hard for me to be talking about Lily Tomlin alone in this because she and Meryl Streep are sisters. Right. They are a team. They've been a team for a long time. And, uh, you get a sense of history with them and a certain, um, I don't know. You really feel like they've been around for a while. Sorry, I'm getting distracted by you getting distracted. Um, I am distracted. There yes. No doubt about that. But um, a lot you're going keep, on yeah, here. You're going to keep getting distracted if you don't. Just eyes here, okay? <laughs> Not going on here. David, my eyes are up here, yeah. okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, and so you get a really they're very much supporting characters. Like it doesn't spend a whole lot of time with them, but you get a sense of history. You get a sense of, you know, sort of the mournful quality that the whole film has, um, in both of their performances. And again, Lily, right, Tomlin, but they're, like, I mean, they're, they're mournful, but they're not like moping about because yeah, they're yeah. like, yeah, it's more just like, just the, like the backstage. I guess this is some, one of the things that I like is that they're different backstage, than they are on stage. They're not moping around backstage, but it's more just like, you know, everybody knows that this is going to be the last one of these. And that's a sad thing. And undoubtedly these two characters are wondering like, okay, well what's next for us? Anything. Um, but none of that comes to the stage, you know, when they're singing and they're performing, you know, like we already know, I haven't seen Ricky in the flash, but I want to, um, like we already know that Meryl Streep, uh, can like really, 
like really belted out like mm-hmm. on stage. What was she in uh, Postcards from the Edge, where she is, okay. uh, where she like really. You thinking uh, of Mamma Mia? That's what I'm thinking of. Yes, Postcards from the Mamma Mia. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I, Mama I, Mia, look where this postcard uh, came from. <laughs> The Edge, <laughs> of all places, <laughs> uh, by which I mean the uh, YouTube animal. Right, yeah. um, so, anyway, um, sorry, um, and that's the thing. Uh, in watching Lily Tomlin on stage, I stupidly feel like feel like wow, she's got a lot of charisma on stage. But of course, she was a stage performer for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. and she just brings that to the to the character, and it's. And I remember really liking, I liked everybody in the film, but I remember liking the two of them. And again, that sense of history. It's, I feel like it's hard to portray, not merely family, but there's something about siblings where there's a shorthand in how they interact with each other. Um, there are things that are, that both of them know, but they're not going to say. Uh, there just needs to be a sense of, of, like I said, like of history. And I feel like there is with those two characters. And so again, I'm, I know I'm talking just as much about Meryl Streep as I am about Lily Tomlin, but the two of them are a pair and they feel like it. And I think that's important. I like Lindsay Lohan in that movie too. She's not bad. Yeah. All right. Um, now this one, this is, uh, not a movie. It's a TV show. And I think Mm. you'll have more to say than I will. Okay. Uh, it's the West wing. Yes. Because I've only seen the Aaron Sorkin seasons and she's only in a few episodes there. Right. It's not uh, when did I mean I feel like she's in probably if you've only seen the Sorkin then you've seen her in a couple of seasons I think and I don't think she's in every episode but because well, I mean I gotta look that up and see if you're right I feel like she wasn't in she's only in the fourth season but maybe I'm wrong is she show up in the third season well when does uh you know Mrs. Landingham die at the end of season two okay and then they bring in uh Lily Tomlin's character Debbie Fitterer as uh as yeah as her replacement and uh it's a few episodes but i think she comes into season three all right maybe i'm i don't think they go a whole season without replacing mrs landingham they make well, maybe a, they do she's tough to replace I, well that that's the big deal about it yes that they make a they make a big a big to do um but yeah um and so yeah and she she's there throughout the rest of the of the series and she does not what was that Yep, she shows up in the final episode of season three. Okay, all Posse right. Comitatus. Absolutely. That's the one with the five-hour opera. Oh, and, yes. Uh, what's his name? Richie? Uh, Robert Richie. Robert Richie. Played by uh, um, James Brolin. Mark Harmon is in that episode. Yes, he is. Jeff Buckley's version of Hallelujah. Yes, it is. A little bit, a little bit hacked. That, that, uh, uh, the use of it or the... Fi- the- the use song of, itself, just the no, no, the use, uh, um, just setting a setting a, an end of season montage to that song is a little bit. I don't know. Maybe they were the first to do it, but I feel like a lot do, of shows have done that. Do you want to hear uh, a super uh, dicky thing I once said uh, about Jeff Buckley's version of Hallelujah? It has less to do with that version specifically, and more to do with people's reaction to it. I remember years ago, Jen was watching American Idol, and there was a kid named Jason something, Castro, and he had and he covered Hallelujah. And Simon Cowell said he's like he goes, I love the choice of song. He goes, I love the Jeff Bur- uh, Jeff Buckley version of that song. Which don't get me wrong, it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, I remember just thinking like, yeah, I guess that figures, doesn't it? Like. 
You wouldn't like the one with the gravelly voice. You wouldn't like yeah. the one with the lived-in quality. You would like the nice... Uh, again, the Jeff Buckley version is very beautiful to hear. But like, I remember just thinking like, yeah, Bob Dylan wouldn't do well with you, would he, Simon Cowell? Like, <laughs> you know, uh, Leonard Cohen would not go well with you. And just like, yeah, because you're about polish, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's who you are. Like, I just got really dicky. Uh, and Jen... <laughs> She wasn't mad at me, but she's like, she goes, yeah, I didn't think of that. And clearly I had ruined her good time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I've always been annoyed at the elevation of the Jeff Buckley version over Leonard Cohen version. It's yeah. perfectly good, but it's, yeah, it's, they both bring different things to it. You know, um, I think the Jeff Buckley version is a little bit more, if you'll pardon me, almost a little an angelic, whereas Leonard right. Cohen's feels like. There's an, this is a thing that I like about Tom Waits as well is just like when you hear this voice uh-huh. and the arrangement, but like you hear this voice singing this song, it sounds infinitely more hopeful than if a beautiful voice sings it. Yeah. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. As though like, it's like, yeah, th- it, so- it often sounds like, oh, uh, somebody who's very, very down on his luck and has gotten and has gotten or at the very least is is pretty far along in in his age uh but he still is able to hold on to this uh, mournfully beautiful idea yeah uh, that's nice but i think <laughs> i think when i hear leonard cohen's voice talking about you know being people being tied to chairs and their bro- bones being broken i feel like it plays up the darker side of the song more. sure what i like about oh yeah that's i mean that is still there and i feel like that idea fits more with his, the mm-hmm. acknowledgement of like, there's an optimism, but it is not unearned. Right. Um, whereas the Jeff Buckley version, again, I do, it, it hits my ears very well, but, uh, but to me, it doesn't, uh, have quite the same quality, but anyway, we can move on. I apologize, everybody. Right. That's me being but a dick about Simon Cowell. But, um, <laughs> that's fine. Um, what are your thoughts on Debbie Fidrer? Uh, this goes to what I was saying at the very beginning of the episode, which is she has a quality that she is, the smartest one in the room and in the West wing, that means something oh, right. that yeah. she is that she could sit down and play chess with the president and maybe beat him. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That she is, this goes to what you were saying. She's the secretary, but she's a lot more than that. Right. You know, to be the president's secretary, you need to be, you need to have specifically like specific special qualifications. And she does. And she She's funny, often in a in a kind of a withering type of way, mm-hmm. um, and and there are just there are times when she will come in uh, to the Oval Office and and help him where she, where she can, and she doesn't like overstep her boundaries or anything, but it's more just like, and they're not trying, and she's not trying to just replace Mrs. Landingham like uh, Lily Tomlin understands. Like, okay, well, this is still a professional working relationship; it's not a personal one. But because she is so intimately associated with the president, she's, uh, there is a, again, this goes, uh, I said the word shorthand before, but there's a shorthand between the two of them that develops over the course of, of the series that I really like. And the two of them develop their own, um, their own kind of, um, uh, chemistry that I like a lot. And it takes a lot to, to stand your ground playing opposite Martin Sheen as the president of the Mm -hmm. United States, but she does. 
and between and when they're talking you're looking at both of them, not both of them, not merely him. Yeah. And she's there too. But I think after this whole episode, I mean, can you imagine Lily Tomlin being intimidated no. by anyone? No. <laughs> yeah. That's not who she is. Yeah. Um, I want to jump real quick through another couple TV things. One you haven't seen except for the character introduction, which we just watched on YouTube, yeah. uh, before him and three episodes of Eastbound and down. She played Tammy, mm-hmm. um, Kenny's mother. It's a very funny, uh, it's a very intro. great intro. Um, we could say what it is. She's bowling. Mm-hmm. She gets a, and also that's the thing. The intro starts long before she's on screen. Like it's right. it's such an introduction to her world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you get like the phone yeah. rings at the at the bowling alley. So yeah. obviously, who, some whoever's looking for her knows to call her at the bowling alley. Yeah, and there's a long tracking shot around through the different leagues, yeah. like the league teams. And then you see her pick up before you see her face, and then it cuts, and then you see the uh, it's all one shot until you, like the woman says, uh, "Tammy, there's a phone call for you." Then it cuts to her back, mm-hmm. and as she's bowling, you hear the woman say, "She says your son Kenny Powers." So she, well, gutter balls the thing because she was mm-hmm. distracted, and then says <laughs> just a string of like, "Fuck, God damn it, motherfucker, Jesus, H Christ, God yeah. sucking," and then she goes. Uh, uh, Sandy, I'm sorry. I took the Lord's name in vain. How are you today? <laughs> and but while she's saying it, she's doing the give me the phone motion. Yeah. So it's very uh, nonchalant. And uh, yeah. she doesn't really care that she's offended this woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, or maybe she does. Right. Like, it's. I mean, there's a quality there. It's like, it's enough. Like, she's, she's aware that someone would be offended. And she right. cares about that person's opinion enough to apologize. Yeah. Not enough to never say it in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I f- there, there is that, uh, that. I believe we earlier we talked about a nonchalance yeah. to even just even when she's angry and swearing, there's a quality to it of just like, oh, I would have, you know, she's angry, but I feel like this is not she knows that this is not necessarily life or death for her. Again, this is just based on the I don't know how the character turns out. Um, you know, right. more than I do. So. Yeah. Well, the, the, what I like about the show is about the uh, casting her and her performance and so at this point in the show, we've already met Don Johnson as Kenny's dad. Mm-hmm. And we've seen him as like a, you know, skirt chasing scumbag. Yeah. And so you get this idea. You think like, oh, so that's where, that's where Kenny comes from, right? He takes after his old man. Mm-hmm. You think that. And then you meet his mom, who is a very competitive, foul-mouthed, and with a real temper. And yeah. you realize, oh, that's the rest of the puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have the whole picture just meeting Don Johnson. Uh, this is the other half of who Kenny is as, mm-hmm. as, as a person, uh, and she embodies that very well. And like I said, it's, I mean, she's only in she's only in a few episodes, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a it's a great little. little is the bit. show over? I forget. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it was over, and then they decided they didn't like it the way it ended, so they did another whole season, and now it is over. Oh, okay, all right, fair enough. The third season, the third season finale was supposed to be the series finale, and then everyone decided they weren't happy with it. And they did a fourth season. That's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome, except the fourth season is, I don't know. Yeah, it really does feel like they're hitting a lot of the same notes as the third season, but doing it the way they wanted to do it. So it's, the fourth season is hit or miss. Hmm. Um, but the second season, whew, that's the one. That's the one with Michael Pena. Oh, all right. That was, a, the, that was like the time when I started to realize how awesome Michael Pena is. Yeah, and he is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, as he's been a down, and then also I can't talk too much about web therapy. That's also speaking of canceled shows, because um, it recently canceled. But this was she played um, Lisa Kudrow's uh, mother, who's high society and uh, liked 
her son-in-law better than she liked her daughter. Huh. Uh, and so they were like, when they split up, she's like taking the son-in-law's side. <laughs> but it's mostly, I mean, the the sort of setup of web th- web therapy as a, as a show is kind of actually in retrospect very fitting for who Lily Tomlin is because it's like it's almost like she gets to do another like Edith Ann. She just yeah. gets to be her character sitting in front of the yeah. talking to the screen, and so she got a lot of uh, funny stuff. There was uh, there was one where she's realized that she said that uh, there's a whole storyline where it turns out the NSA. Uh, Dax Shepard played an NSA agent who had been recording uh, Lisa Kudrow's Skypes hmm. or whatever. And so Lily Tomlin realizes that or learns that, realizes that she said something incriminating. So leaves a video message as a way of covering it, like <laughs> trying to act like she was kidding, like about <laughs> that. And then uh, she finishes and like doesn't hit the off button in time. You just get this like brief moment of like, I sure, she, I can't remember, like, I, I sure hope they fucking bought that or something like that. <laughs> it's a great little moment. Uh, and then that brings us to Grandma, which I don't want to say too much about because I know most people haven't seen it. Uh, mm. It's out in some markets by the time you're hearing this. Uh, but it's, and, and we did talk about it on the movie journal already, mm-hmm. my opinion of it. So uh, I don't think we need to talk about the movie as a whole, but we can talk about um, her as a, as a lead, because we haven't, I mean, not since 9 to 5 or maybe Big Business, where she's a co-lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but she really is the lead of the movie. She's the titular grandma uh, and uh, has no problem carrying the movie uh, on her own. I mean, she does have the granddaughter in tow uh, with her, but it's um, full of very funny stuff, but uh, also with a lot of uh, character stuff as well. She's... She's uh she lost her uh partner, I guess. Um, not wife, because I don't think they, obviously they wouldn't have been married mm-hmm. yet. Uh a year and a half or so before and she's sort of still processing that and that's a big part of her uh her character. Um so uh it's a it's one of those sort of all in one day uh slash road trip, I guess, road trip around Los Angeles mm-hmm. type of uh movie. So it's very episodic, which is good. She you know we've talked about Lily Tomlin as a sketch actress yeah. and so she gets to play a lot of different little scenes with yeah. a lot of different she gets to play against, you know, here it's John Cho and then Elizabeth Pena and then Laverne Cox and then Sam Elliott and then Marcia Gay Harden. She gets a mm-hmm. lot of like scene partners that she gets to jump from from one to, to the next. Judy Greer. Um, uh, and it's, uh, I, I really do think it's a fantastic performance and I think it's a very good movie. Mm. Not, maybe not a fantastic movie because we okay. talked about its logical problems. Right. But, uh, it's, it's what, you know, it's strong enough that it made me want to profile Lily Tomlin as a whole. No. So, uh, go see it. Yeah. I, I feel like we've, you know, talked, I'm sure, uh, you know, listeners have, have seen a lot of the movies that we've talked about, although maybe not flirting with disaster, which deserves to be seen. I haven't seen nine to five, which I, which sounds great. And I've heard is great. Um, and you recommend big business up and down, right? If you, I mean, don't pay too much to see it, but, uh, <laughs> it's such a goofy, fun movie. Okay. Um, and it has a great cast in addition to, uh, Leah Tom and Bette Midler. It also has Fred Ward mm-hmm. and, um, Edward Herman. Oh, and, nice. Uh, Michael Gross, I think, has a small role right. in it. It's, yeah, it's a good movie. Um, but yeah, and so just to, I guess, to sort of sum her up, uh, when I think of 
Lily Tomlin as an actress, as I said before, like I think of somebody who is funny, but also just brimming with intelligence and awareness of herself and the world around her. And the fact that she can, that that plays a role into her comedy, um, makes her a very specific comedic presence that I like a lot. And she's always, of course, very charismatic and always extremely watchable on screen. So, and with a strange sexuality as well. Yeah. You know, that's which true. Is, which is an um, intru- something you wouldn't necessarily expect, but I think is great. Yeah. And uh, the fact that she plays in that in grandma, she's not, you know, this isn't despite the name. She isn't like this isn't some doddering like, right. uh, you know, Twilight Years performance. Like it's a forceful, vivacious yeah. performance. And it gives me hope that we have a lot more to look forward to still. Yeah, I think so. And and I'm excited for it. So, OK, I All think right. we're done. Yeah. Uh, you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com. That's where you find our movie reviews. You can email me at David at BattleshipRetention.com and Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. Uh, Tyler, you have another podcast. It's called More Than One Lesson. Yep. Anything going on that you want to talk about? Uh, if everything goes according to plan, it's not been recorded yet, but if any, if everything works out the way I want it to, we'll be doing a mini-sode about The Deer Hunter, the best picture, 1978. Good luck with all that. Yes. Um, my other podcast is about TV. It's called Hey, Watch This. This week, we are eschewing our regular format. What? Uh, and in honor of um, the Man from Uncle movie, we are watching two episodes of... The Man from Uncle All right. in the 1960s. We'll be talking about those. That's fun. Uh, yeah, it's fun. We're, talk- we're going to talk about the first episode, and we're going to talk about an episode from season two. Season two, episode 26. I think it's called, like, The Peephole Affair or something like that. Okay. Um, which I picked because some guy who wrote a blog two and a half years ago said it was the best episode of the series. There you go. Um, so uh, that's that. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. Uh, Go on. Hello? Go on. Okay, sorry. There's a weird, uh, maybe we can...